I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, slightly saddened by that we even have to have a show on this, but uh, glad that we're doing it bionic. There you go with punctuation in your own middle name. You know, I have to fill out those change of name forms every week. It's quite a fortune. Well, you know they have those forms with the little blocks that you put in. Do you have to put the commas and other things in there when you fill out? Usually I have to ask forms. for a special form. Special form. It's like... Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to have you back for another week of yeah. the Future Quake Show. Uh, we have another great guest with yeah. a very provocative uh, topic that's very timely that we have this week. We have uh, Trevor Paglin, the author of uh, uh, Torture Taxi on the Trail of the CIA's Rendition Flights. And we're going to talk about the real story behind our government secret detainment programs. And this is a gentleman who, on his own, became an expert of the topic. Yeah. Uh, was able to get a Ph.D. in the work that he does in these areas. Kind of, yeah. At uh, Berkeley. It's very... It's not kind of. He really got a Ph.D. Well, no, I know. He really got a Ph.D., but it wasn't strictly in his... It wasn't strictly for what we're talking about. It was for uh, uh, blank spots on the map, how making, how to make sort of... It's all secret government stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about torture stuff. Which well, is different than just and secret, secret and secret facilities where it yeah where it's done right yeah it's uh, to me a fascinating topic and it's something that Christians ought to care about because we may be spending some time in yeah, them you think? well you know oh, even if we aren't even if anybody no, is we should no, care about no, it no don't get me started on this I could start ranting and raving and throwing stuff but that wouldn't make any sense on the air all you'd hear is so so wait till we rant and rave during the interview basically yeah. You're saying? Yeah. Uh, this is something I hope, ladies and gentlemen, well, if you're new to our show, I think this is a typical kind of show, the kind of things that we try to address that mm-hmm. you will not hear on mainstream Christian radio, mm-hmm. uh, particularly ones that are trying to push war and seeing how many people that are different than us we can kill. You mean like Huckabee saying, uh, I want to personally look forward to sending them all to hell in regards to Iran? I mean, during the Republican debate? Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess that would contrast with that. Yeah. Uh, this is a show that talks about... Some some hapless souls that go to a place where they don't return. Yeah. Now, having said that, a disclaimer ahead of time: some of these guys may be real bad dudes, but some of them may not be. Sure. And we don't have any kind of way to tell because there's nobody held accountable for what people do. Yeah. And I think that's the big issue. When people are not held accountable, um, bad yeah. things are going to happen. Well, no, I think the issue is is that we're torturing people, good, bad, or otherwise. And that's not yeah. In its own right, regardless of what's going yeah. on, no matter how sanctioned it is, it's still not a good thing to do. Yeah. We look at the people of ancient Rome at the Colosseum and think how brutal that is, mm-hmm. and we we really don't look at ourselves very clearly. sure. Well, it's it's not being self-critical, which is sort of a problem, a national mm-hmm. epidemic. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, with no further ado, we need to begin our interview with Dr. Trevor Paglin, the author of Torture Taxi on the Trail of CIA's Rendition Flights. And then we'll be right back to discuss the first segment here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Really excited about this interview, Bionic. Great. Well, uh, we have a new guest with us, uh, a, a new visitor dropping in uh, that I think is just ideally suited for our show. We have Dr. Trevor Paglin, the author of Terror Taxi on the Trail of the CIA's Rendition Flights. 
Mm. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. It really dovetails into a lot of things that we cover on our show. And the title of our show this week is The Real Story Behind Our Government's Secret Detainment Programs. And we're speaking with an expert today cool. who has achieved great notoriety for this very murky area uh, to explore. Uh, Dr. Paglin, I want to welcome you to the Future Quake Show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, I know you had to make a lot of uh, effort. Uh, you've been doing extensive traveling lately uh, to get us into your schedule, and I know our listeners appreciate it. And I believe you'll find many kindred spirits here amongst our fellow Futurian listeners. Uh, and I want to congratulate you on your receipt of your doctorate last summer uh, from UC Berkeley. Cool. Uh, based upon your yeah, based upon your research documented in your book, Blank Spots on a Map. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, the only better best better thing than getting a doctorate, and believe me, I, I slugged through six and a half years of getting mine. Uh, but the only better thing is when you can do it on a really really cool topic. And uh, you, yeah. It was fun. I had good advisors, and, and so they, they kind of left me alone and let me work on what I wanted to work on. So it was a lot of fun. Well, and it gave me an opportunity also to uh, not just create a, 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 a dusty manuscript that sits on a shelf somewhere, but something that uh, the general public has a keen interest in as well, too. And uh, we're going to explore some of that, and particularly some of your earlier work here. To, to begin our discussion today... Could you give our listeners a little summary of your background and your credentials and experiences, even including your interests related to your degree in religious studies at UC Berkeley? Well, um, I guess my my background is I'm a a doctorate from UC Berkeley in in geography. Uh, The topic of my uh, dissertation and research is state secrecy, trying to understand uh, secrecy through the spaces that it creates. In other words, uh, trying to think about secrecy not as something abstract, but being a set of bureaucracies, a set of landscapes, a set of people that all are kind of organized in such a way as uh, to try to become invisible or, or try to be unknown. And, and it's kind oh. of an interesting question. How do yeah. you make something disappear? And that, that's kind of the topic of my work. Hmm. Wow. Fascinating. And, my undergraduate degree, as you said, was in uh, religious studies, and religion has always been interesting to me as a, as a kind of, more for the kind of philosophical side of it, I guess. Hmm. Now, when you, when you studied your undergraduate work in religious studies, did you have a particular interest or what your plans were in that? I know that may have changed in your career since then, but did you have a particular interest in what you wanted to pursue in further academic study in that area? Uh, well, I didn't really want to go into religious studies for doctoral work. It's, it's very, very difficult. You have to learn all kinds of strange old languages <laughs> that are right. dead and gone, and, and it's really a bookish pursuit. It's a very, very interesting one, but I felt like I didn't really uh, want to go in that direction. I wanted to study mm-hmm. things that are, were a little bit more contemporary. You, you know, uh, we, we talk about some of those old... Uh language issues with some of the guests on our show here. And in fact, uh, many universities will award you an honorary doctorate in religious studies just from listening to the Future Quake show. (laughs) We get a a number of uh, continuing uh, education units from listening to Future Quake. And that's one area, just our our Futurians. A lot of times they'll be mailed uh, certificates and diplomas. Yeah, there you go. Just from being conversant. And we do have a number of people who have listened to all five years worth of shows. 
So they they picked wow. a, quite not, a yeah. panapple, but they're not entirely right of information upstairs. You know? Well, they may not be right <laughs> upstairs, like like the host. Yeah. Uh, now, did you did you grow up in the California area or out west? I grew up in the military, so I, I grew up all over the world. Hmm. Uh, my father was in the Air Force, and so uh, I grew up kind of in that culture. Okay. All right. Well, I've mentioned on my show many times. I spent 16 years working in the uh, labs at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, so. I understand a little bit about being around that culture and still do some some work in that environment. Uh, let me ask you, why did you get interested in the subject of secret activities and installations in our federal government? Uh, just as discussed in your book, Terror Taxi, that we'll discuss today. What what really made you decide to take that direction? Well, I think that when I was studying prisons before in California, and I was really interested in the relationship between uh, geography and prisons. In, in other words, California had started building a lot of prisons in the early 1980s, and they were really different than the way prisons had been built traditionally. They were building them way out in the fields, in the middle of nowhere, very, very isolated, uh, these huge structures. And, and I was trying to understand why something had changed in, in terms of how prisons were done in the United States. And I was trying to understand that. And then... As a hobby, I was kind of interested in the military and in, you know, the, the, the secret parts of the military, and I never took it that seriously. But pretty early on, after 2001, it started to become clear, if you were paying attention, that there was a network of secret prisons around the world. And the reason we knew that was that the Pentagon, for example, would come out in, you know, in early 2002 and say, well, we caught this high-value terrorist, a guy named Abu Beta, for example. Right. But I wouldn't say where he, where he was, and we knew that he wasn't at Guantanamo Bay. So if you thought about it for two or three minutes, you, you think, well, he has to be somewhere in the world, and so there must be some kind of secret prison system. So that's where my kind of hobby research intersected with my, uh, with my other research into prisons, and I, I started taking it more and more seriously and worked on it. And eventually it, it just turned into its own project. Hmm. So you couldn't pick up normal hobbies like stamp collecting or, you know, <laughs> collecting, days, yeah, collecting beanie, baseball, beanie you know, babies or something like that. Football. You had to pick something very esoteric. Fly fishing. Like <laughs> secret places well, where people are holding up. The Raiders don't tend to be very exciting these days. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's true. That yeah. is true. Now, you weren't planning, like, to send uh, this guy a cake with a file inside of it or something like that. That's not what your interest was, right? <laughs> I just wanted to make that on the record. It, it wasn't because you were uh, looking to bust somebody out or anything. It was just, it, it sounds like you're a terminally curious person, which, which yeah, I'm a curious I, person. I, can, I can agree with as well, too. And it, and it can be some of the more bizarre topics, and it's sort of like you get an itch that you can't fully scratch. And, and when you start wondering, it's one of those things you can't get out of your head. And I think it's an issue that's going to be even more and more important for um, our listeners out there. We've, we've discussed this many times that what is being defined as terrorist in the days ahead is getting broader and broader. And we, we can discuss yeah. that later in our discussion. But there might be all, a lot of you know people like Mr. Rogers may be interned one of these days in one of these secret <laughs> prisoners. It's, it's how broad Don't they're... Don't you they're, be my neighbor. They're just, they're, they're list, their uh, lists are... Uh, can you give us a little brief history 
of our government's activities of covert kidnapping and internment of people, uh, how, how that really developed and grew and, and the kind of installations that they devised to house people secretly? Sure, sure. So let's talk about the, the contemporary version of it. In other words, let's not talk about what was going on in World War II or Vietnam or that kind of thing. Let's talk about the current program. Sure. And the, the current now, by the, the way, speaking speaking of the the prior to that, you mentioned Vietnam. Wasn't there a program called something like Operation Phoenix or Project Phoenix or something? Exactly. That in fact exactly. was just that same kind of thing. Exactly. There was this program called Phoenix. I mean, the CIA has had you know various mind control experiments and torture programs and things like that for a long. Uh, in the recently, a lot of those things have been dusted off. Mm-hmm. as it were, to mm-hmm. create the, the current program. And the, the current program, the origins of that really go to late 1980s, early 1990s, when there's a couple of structural changes that happened in the CIA where they basically uh, start doing these renditions. A, a classic example of this is going after Ramsey Youssef after the... Um, after the first World Trade Center bombing, we went to Pakistan and, and got him, and they brought him to the United States and put him on trial. They were grabbing other people from around the world as well and taking them to places like Egypt, where you know the people would essentially disappear. It really started under the Clinton administration, and the, the program was formalized in 1995 when the CIA created... Uh, what they call rendition teams, in other words, the permanent capacity to do this. What changed after, uh, I think George Tenet testified in, I believe, 2002, that there were something, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 renditions uh, during the 1990s. What changes with the war on terror is that there becomes a focus on trying to get intelligence out of the people that they're picking up. In other words, the, the the Clinton era rendition program is about getting people off the streets, and the Bush era rendition program was about interrogating people, trying to get information out of them. So we have that rendition program. This dovetails with the Black Site program, and the Black Site program is this network of secret prisons that were open until very recently. The way that that worked was that. That began really on the battlefield of Afghanistan. A lot of people don't may not remember, but if you go back and look, it was really the CIA who was in charge of the of the invasion of Afghanistan, and the military kind of took a side role to that. And the CIA teamed up with what they called the Northern Alliance, kind of a group of warlords in northern Afghanistan who had been fighting the Taliban for a long time. If I can just inter- interrupt so, for a second. The, uh, if I remember right, when the war started over there, we, we finally had some of our special forces go in at some stage, try to go into these Absolutely. really remote areas, and, and they thought they were fighting some guys or saw some guys who were these Taliban people to fight, and these guys were saying, no, 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 it's us. And they were embedded CIA guys who had been there for some unknown period of time and basically blended in with the population completely, and our own guys were completely unaware that they'd been there for that time. Is that stories. correct? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so the CIA was definitely very active and, and were, were, were played a huge part in, in that invasion. And they really did it according to their rules to a large extent. You're right, with, in conjunction with special forces, with, uh, Northern and Larence guys. Predictably, what they started doing was 
taking prisoners with this invasion. And the bulk of the prisoners went to the Northern Alliance guys, normal soldiers with the Taliban or something. The the Northern Alliance took them off to different prisons in Afghanistan. The Northern Alliance actually massacred a bunch of them. But they would also catch guys that they thought had some information, guys that they didn't want to give away. They wanted to hold on to them. And what they did was put a bunch of shipping containers together in the makeshift prison at Bagram Air Base. And that was really, uh, and they kind of held people there, uh, incommunicado, interrogated them. And that eventually became formalized. They built a place that they called the Salt Pit in late 2001 in an old brick factory outside of Kabul, and they were bringing guys there. The idea of creating these secret prisons that the CIA would run then then spread. They built one in Thailand in 2002, one in Poland, one uh, probably one in Romania, and, and other places. And so it ended up with, with a network of these secret prisons over the years. And this is where they, they would grab somebody from around the world, and that, that person would disappear, and they would disappear into this system. Think about it as kind of like, an evil twin to Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> which is kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around. There right. could be a shadow of Guantanamo Bay, but uh, there indeed is, or, or there was. And so that, that's kind of how that program started. It really came off the battlefield. And then they thought, hey, this is really useful. We can take these guys. Uh, nobody knows where they are. We can do God knows what to them in secret. Hmm. And so we have all of these people taking up off the street, um... No, no external verification about what they're guilty of or crimes. They disappear. No one knows. Their relatives, no one knows where they are. And they could be held indefinitely. Possibly the that's rest exactly of their lives. That's exactly what would happen. You guys would disappear off the street and never be heard from again. The Red Cross wouldn't visit them. They weren't, you know, they would, they would quite literally vanish. That's interesting. They thought that was happening with, uh, there was a, a couple, uh, husband and wife tax protesters uh, here in the U.S. that a short while ago were, uh, were, were going to be hauled in because of there was a dispute on whether they had paid certain taxes, and they uh, surrounded the house, and they had built a very self-sufficient place where they lived, and um, they held up for a long time, but somebody came in under the guise of helping them and turned out was a sort of a turncoat and uh, sort of let them in, uh, and, and, and got the forces in and captured them, and these people just disappeared. Nobody could find them. This is in our own systems, our U.S. citizens here. Wow. For a long time, and then uh, they found out that they had been treated to diesel therapy, which is, uh, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with that, uh, Dr. Paglin? No, I'm sure not. Yeah, diesel therapy is what they do here in the States, where they got somebody they don't really like too much, and uh, they'll put them on buses and say they're going to drive them around to different installations to keep them, but they may keep them on the bus for 20 hours. And they put them in these shoes that are too small to wear, and so it bends their toenails up. So they're constantly in pain and shackled wow. for the period of time. No, no, no potty breaks, no nothing for time. And it's sort of a way to sort of break their will. Uh, and they they get all the diesel fumes and all the other kind of stuff. So and just driving around. Put, give me shoes when we start this show? Uh, I, well, I <laughs> Waterboarding is really what crosses my mind with you, Tom. But, but anyway, sorry, you know, sorry. those are some of the things that they've done stateside. There's a number of other things they do like that, too. But um, 
we're talking, like you say, about people who, who disappear and stay disappeared. The fact that these actions are taken in secret or, or using techniques like the prison ships that are taking out in international waters, which came up again in the news not long ago, and we talked about it here on our show, in an attempt to purposely avoid our, our own laws and civil rights that we have, is obviously an attempt to cir- right. It's an attempt to circumvent well-established laws, much more so than to try to keep our enemies guessing. Uh, how, how do these activities you have documented compare with the legal restrictions and the rights acknowledged by the Constitution and other established laws, including international laws? Well, this isn't totally illegal. I mean, the United States ratified, for example, I mean, the obvious example is something called the Convention Against Torture, which uh, was is a. I mean, well, let's talk about what we mean by by internet, like international conventions. So, part of the Constitution, where it says all treaties ratified by the Senate become the law of the land. So, when we're talking about international laws that have been ratified by the United States. The Constitution itself says that that's the law of our land. So it's, it's not a law that's just out there somewhere that we can uh, adhere to or not. It's the law of our land, according to the Constitution. The United States ratified something called the United uh, Nations Convention Against Torture. And that is very clear about these sort of things. It says you can't torture people. You can't disappear people. If you capture people... You, you know, you have to treat them according to the Geneva Convention. It says, you know, how you, how you have to treat people. And there are no exceptions whatsoever in, in, in that, uh, in that convention, in that treaty. So, this is, there are many, many ways in which this, uh, rendition program, this black site program, this torture program is illegal. That's just the most obvious. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now these laws that you're talking about, there's international laws, and then if people are own citizens, they have laws we have here in the States. But but internationally, they're intended to give us some kind of leverage to make sure our own people aren't treated that way at other locations. Now, we, we may fight other enemies that are desperate. And, in fact, it's funny we use those same arguments now when we talk about terrorism. Well, we're desperate to stop something, so that justifies torture. Uh, however, we look at our enemies who have far less resources that we have and, and, and feel overwhelmed with our, with our military might. And so they use these kind of techniques. And we think for some reason that is not acceptable uh, because they are extremely desperate in their, in their situation. But in our case, it is. So, so that's supposed to give us some moral authority that we can go before world bodies or whatever or even intermediary countries to try to pr- apply some leverage to protect our own people. So when we disregard these laws, we even put our own guys in jeopardy, don't we? Absolutely. I mean, this is the, the a lot of people who justify these programs make arguments like, well, they would do the same thing to us, so we should do it to them. And and that's really that's not really logical because then you're a, you're implying a race to the bottom, as it were. You you say that well, if if nobody has any standards out there then we shouldn't have any standards. Yeah. And, of course, there's going to be people out there who don't have any standards, but do we want to be like that? Do we want to degrade ourselves? I mean, the point, we don't want to be like Saudi Arabia. We don't want to be like Nazi Germany. And the way we don't do that, following our own laws. And uh, and so that, that, that those kinds of arguments never really made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, we talk about fighting for the American way. Well, is that the American way that we're fighting for, to preserve? Uh, you know, exactly. it, as I understand, in, in Soviet Russia, uh, those guys were sent out to their death against the Germans, um, not because they had a total love for their way of life and for uh, Papa Joe. It was because somebody had a gun pointing at their back. The guys behind them, otherwise they'd never go fight for an ideology like that. You know, they leave one gulag and then go have to go fight on a battlefield. And it sounds like we're trying to create the same atmosphere here. So I, I, I think many times it would be dispiriting for our people to see, see this going on. Right, and, and this is one of the effects of a lot of these programs. Is that You see, you know, if you be, do these things that are outside of the law, and remember, this is all under the executive branch. If you have a president who can order torture, then you have a president who can do anything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is nothing that's more universally uh, despised or more – there's nothing that is uh, – where there's such a global consensus that it is not okay that, you know, for – I mean, torture. Um, so – the effect of that is to create a president that can do anything. And that's that's not a democracy. That's a dictatorship when you get to that point. Okay, we're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, wow, bionic. Well, that's a much easier one to spell. Yeah. Is that like ShamWow bionic? ShamWow? Is that like a dream? Have you ever heard of like the shammy thing by the Pitchman events offer? Yeah, ShamWow. Oh, I didn't know the wow part was in there. Have you been like in a a camp, a rendition camp for a while in the yeah, dark room? Yeah, I know. Well, it's called the Future Quake Studio. <laughs> Future Quake Studio. I'm gonna smack my head against the wall. Um, we 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 dove right in. We actually covered a lot of material on this first segment, mm-hmm. including not only uh, uh, Dr. Paglin's background, but talking about the the basically the unlawfulness mm-hmm. of what this is. Well, there's really no legal justification. For what goes on with yeah, this. it's just it's just a couple it's just well a couple guys it's a large segment of the secret ops thing they just say the law doesn't really apply to us sure it mm-hmm. applies to those other little people but the law doesn't mm-hmm. really apply to us which is exactly mm-hmm. the same sort right. of scenario that you see going on with Germans and the Pharisees right. and anybody else well the rationale though that they use is the law basically can't get the job done to protect us mm-hmm. and they have to have extra means at their disposal where the law is limited. In what it can do. Which is similar to what we talked about Friday, actually, the similar basic mindset about uh, religious leaders taking money from uh, avowed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, occultists and stuff, mm-hmm. where they just kind of go, right. well, God can't really get this done, so right. i got to step in here and do this. Well, speaking of avowed occultists, uh, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
Okay, we got to go. We're running late. Nice segue on Merv. Okay, thanks. Uh, come back for the next segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And Tom, please don't use the whip on me, Dr. Future Bionic. <laughs> Not heard that one before. Uh, I, I just, I was looking down here. Is at, that like, don't hurt me, hammer? Please hammer, don't hurt me. I think it was, you mean like MC Hammer? Yeah. Yes, please hammer, don't hurt him. Are you sure? I grew up with it. You now. do bluegrass music. Well, yeah, not? but this was a junior high thing. I had the hammer pants, and they were all flowing and stuff. You did? Oh, totally. Oh, I'd love to have a picture of that to put up on futurequake.com. Yeah, I went through a, I went through this whole phase of about a year or so where I tried to fit and then realized I was a total screwball and mm-hmm. kind of came to terms with my nuttiness. You were you were destined to be wander desolate deserts of yeah. future quake. There you go. And fit with the rest of us mutants here. I remember talking to somebody about the poem Flatland, and they looked at me like, what? Mm. Well, speaking of mutants, it's good to be with all of you all, fellow curious here. And nice segue. We have uh, an interview uh, this week in our second installment with Dr. Trevor Paglin, the author of Torture Taxi, on the trail of CIA's rendition flights. And we're talking about the real story behind our government's secret detainment programs. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those bitter pills that we have to take, but it's important for us to hear and mull over and do something about mm-hmm. And we need to go. And with no further ado, here's Dr. Trevor Peglin. We'll be right back to discuss it here on Future Quick. Moving on to your book and and the focus of your book, can can you give us a capsule summary of the scope of your book, Terror Taxi, on the trail of the CIA's rendition flights, which was published, I believe, yeah. in 2006? That was published in 2006. Yeah, the book is called Torture Taxi on the Trail of the CIA's Rendition Flights. And it was the first book to describe the program. I mean, the 2006, where there was fragments here and there about 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 this phenomenon. Since then, some other books have come out, and a lot more of the story is known now. At, at that time, not so much of the story was known, and so the book was really an attempt to try to put together a logical chronology and explanation of this program that had been going on for quite some time at that point. Okay. Uh, but you give a number of details of the um, the way they do it, the logistics that they use, the kind of front operations they use for it. It's right. quite a complicated, and we're going to talk about some of those specifics, but it, it's a quite a complex operation they've done to try to be under the radar screen from the American people, Correct. Absolutely. So they were they had set up a bunch of different uh front companies. Uh they were working with private contractors, they had all these um airplane companies that they uh well this is how the CIA does business. It's all underhanded and, and covert and you know, we, we we tried to describe exactly how this was going on and, and named a lot of the names of the people that were involved with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much infrastructure to support. It requires a lot of drugs to uh, to fly in and sell on the street to be able to fund that kind of undercover operation, isn't it? <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> I I know if if you say something like that, then you have to kill me, right? Like like your other book uh, that, that that you have. Um, 
By the way, what kind of feedback have you gotten from people regarding the, the shocking information you unveil in this book? In, in the, the Torture Taxi book was, was pretty controversial when it came out. Uh, that was a – I think the cultural climate in the United States was a little bit different back then than it is now. I think now a lot of people are looking back at some of these programs and being a little bit more self-reflexive about them and doing some soul-searching about what's on in this country. And at that time, I think that was starting to happen, but it wasn't quite there yet. And so the, a lot of people were upset about the fact that, that we were describing these programs that were trying to bring them out in the open, that we're trying to have a conversation about them. I think it's, it's uh, mellowed out a little bit recently, you know, last couple of years. But it was a little bit it was a little bit controversial for a while. Well, I want to apologize. I think I call it terror taxi. It is torture taxi on the trail of the CIA's renditions flight. You know, that doesn't sound like a, a preferred carrier. I would pick if no, I looked on like Airbus or on Travelocity Delta. or Expedia and Delta tort- Southwest Torture Taxi. Torture Taxi is not one that I would choose, <laughs> I, but I assume these people don't get to choose uh, uh, this kind of thing. What are the classic circumstances where that would happen in the individual case where a person would be tracked, then picked up, transported, and detained? What, can, can you tell us through, like the sort of the normal sure. process that happen classic, yeah. and then you know the, what? Who are the kind of people who are targeted now, or breadth of people? Right. So, so let's let's take the example of a guy named uh, Khaled El Masri. He's a German citizen, lived in southern Germany. He went on. He he got in a in a fight with his wife, and he left town, and he went to Macedonia. This was in early 2004. And as he was coming over the border, um, he was detained by Macedonian authorities. And they called the CIA and thought, oh, we have, we have a guy here. You know, he seems kind of suspicious. He had a name that was very close to uh, the name of a, of, a, of a terrorist that they wanted. A guy so, they thought it was a, was a terrorist. Sort of like and people who end up on the, the no-fly list. If you have a name yeah, like exactly. somebody they're watching, then you can't fly, or they cause you a lot of red tape. Because I know I've been off and on that too for that same kind of thing. I know uh, recently there was a gentleman they picked up on the border because they thought he sounded a lot like the guy who ended up being John Doe number two at the uh, Oklahoma City bombing, and he was tortured. Right. He was tortured and killed in prison by the feds. His lawyers finally found this out. Uh, because yeah. they thought he heard too much over and, the plans over Oklahoma City, and, they didn't, and now they finally exposed this information. I remember reading that whole thing. They didn't even – they tried to dispose of the body, and it was this whole – Well, they made the mistake of letting the family look at it before burial, and, yeah, and it was, they noticed it was, his, he'd been roughed up and yeah. had been a heart attack. But anyway, it was because that. he just happened to resemble – uh, the guy who they were looking for. So sometimes it can be hard luck, people. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you, you're referring to somebody who had the misfortune of having some kind of resemblance or name that was close to a bad guy, correct? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay, so what so happened to this person? Was, so what they did is they, they took him to a hotel in Macedonia and chained him to the bed for a while. And then what happened is they said they were going to let him go. And he walks outside of the hotel, and a van pulls up, and they grab him, and he's thrown into the back of a van. They take him to the airport, where a group of men 
wearing all black, wearing uh, hoods, masks. Um, you know, it looked like ninjas or something like right. that. And they um, they pin him down and they cut off all his clothes. They insert something into his anus. He falls asleep and he is is really groggy. And they they put him on an airplane. He's shackled and blindfolded and hooded, and he's flown to Kabul, Afghanistan. At Kabul, Afghanistan, the airplane lands. They throw him in the back of a truck, and he's, take, he's driven for about 10 minutes, and he shows up in this secret prison. Nobody knows where he is. They start interrogating him again. He's being interrogated with people wearing masks, you know, wearing hoods, and they tell him, look, you're in Afghanistan. Nobody knows that you're here. Nobody is going to save you. We can do whatever we want to you. And they, uh, they proceed to do whatever they want to him for the next four months. They finally decide, oh, we got the wrong guy. This is a big mistake. So they shackle him up again, hood wow. him, and they, they, they fly him to Albania, and they throw him in the back of a truck, and they drive out into the mountains. They kick him out of the back of a truck on the, on the, on the back roads in, in Albania, of all places. Eventually made his way back to Germany, and uh, nobody really uh, believed his story at first when he I remember, came back. But. I remember hearing about that. That was the most. I remember seeing that for the first time and thinking, "I just, I don't know what to think of that." That you, is the most incredible. You thing. heard, you heard the story of this gentleman. Yeah, yeah, I've heard, I, I heard that uh, part of it, and I remember seeing it on the news, and everybody was talking, talking about it like he was obviously lying. Oh. And then I remember it coming out that parts of his story were corroborating. Yeah. And thinking, man, if this is true, I'm yeah. going to have to rethink a lot of things. When, when, when did this happen? This was in early 2004. This was the first part of 2004. And this kind of thing is, you know, was going on uh, over and over and over again. A guy named Bidnia Muhammad was was picked up in Pakistan. They took him to Morocco or held in the basement of some building for several months. Then they put him in a Moroccan prison where he was tortured by you know, slicing his penis up with razor blades. And they bundled him back into a, an airplane, and they brought him to a different prison in Afghanistan, a place that people called the Dark Prison. And this was a prison where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, and they had a pole across the ceiling that would shackle you from the ceiling in complete darkness, and they would blast really loud music, 24 hours a day. They would play things like Eminem and Dr. Dre, but they would also play like ghost sounds and explosion sounds and all kinds of weird things. And uh, Benny Muhammad said that every at night, you know, we couldn't tell the difference between day and night, but he said you could just constantly hear people banging their heads against the wall and screaming because they were going crazy. Wait, I thought we were a Christian nation. I, I can't see people who are as virtuous as we say we are doing this kind of thing, even to the worst of bad guys. Are, are you are you telling our listeners that we as Americans, virtuous Americans who try to be a light and shining example of the world, condone this kind of thing with our leadership? Well, I, I, I certainly hope not. I mean, I hope that by talking about some of these programs and getting them out into the open, we can... Uh, can shut them down. I personally think this this kind of thing is totally unacceptable, and uh, it's it's not who we want to be, and I don't think it's who we should be. 
I mean, it's it's one thing yeah. to to detain someone for some time and for for just cause when they have shown and exhibited a direct threat to cause harm to an American citizen. But but some of these things just smack of pure sadistic evil darkness. They are. That they they they. I mean, I can't see justifying uh, other than if you were just trying to drive someone insane how it even serves the interest in the most broadest context of how we would define serving the American interest, that this just is, is purely the – I mean, this this reminds me of uh, of uh, Abu Ghraib, you know, where we have well, guests. This, this is exactly right. I mean, this, this, these are the kind of that eventually lead to things like Abu Ghraib. The point is – they, that this was a program that was being created entirely outside of the law, and the leadership in this country said, you know what, we don't have to follow the law. We don't have to follow our own laws. We don't have to follow international conventions. We don't have to behave according to the Geneva Convention. And you don't need to have a Ph.D. in sociology to know that when you create places that are outside of the law, then you create places that any, where anything can happen. And if you create places where anything can happen, then anything will happen and does happen, and we've mm-hmm. seen that over and over again. And this pa- is known. This is not rocket science. And particularly when you create people who are unaccountable. When they're unaccountable, exactly. that's the natural state people go to. Now, what you have just said, if I understand this correctly, this has happened under both Democratic and Republican administrations. It's had it with, with succeeding administrations come in. Uh, they will adopt these practices and just continue them. So it's not a left or right issue or anything like this. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And right now, you know, we're seeing I mean, this is a program. Again, remember, this started under Bill Clinton, and it grew a lot under the Bush administration. It became formalized under the Bush administration. But they didn't. This none of this was invented on September 12, 2001. Right. More recently, when we're looking at how the Obama administration is handling a lot of this, it's been really disappointing. They're trying to keep all of it secret. They're trying to keep a lot of the lawsuits around this uh, around this program out of the court system. They're keeping the uh, the prison at, at Bagram, for example, open. They're, they're really continuing a lot of these policies in a way that's uh, very troubling to me. Well, you know, if, a lot of people. If, if you'd like to interview these guests in, in both parties about why they're doing this, they're, they meet regularly over very close to where you are. Uh, out in a big redwood uh, forest out there, uh, just just look for the stone owl. I wondered if you knew about that. Look, look for the stone owl and the torches, and you'll find them there. And yeah, I, that's I, actually that's actually coming up here in another week. Yeah, yeah. Our, our friend Tom here has actually been to the gates of Bohemian Grove, yep. and uh, he, he's a UC Santa Cruz uh, graduate yep. in economics, and uh, that's his haunting uh, sort of. Yeah, hunting grounds up in that general neck of the woods. So, I mean, if if these people have have firm f- photographic evidence that they go to places like this, stand around with robes and torches, and do these kind of bizarre rituals, why should we be shocked that these things go on? No matter yeah, how many flags, people. no yeah. matter how many flags they wave when they're on TV, no matter how many babies they kiss, no how many platitudes they give. Uh, Christians or other public interest groups, civil rights groups and society. And, and, you know, I tell you what burns me is that so many people just sort of go along. You know, they see all this, see all the mm-hmm. the flag waving and go, no, nah, none of this stuff, you know, rendition no. flights, Union Grove, none of that exists. It's it's disturbing it because it shakes our entire world when we start turning a page. Yeah, on this. yeah, you see stuff like that and you have to make 
it has to change your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. So most people are just more comfortable ignoring the data. That's right, and that's why they don't like listening to Future Quake either. Yeah. Uh, l- l- let me ask you, you, you point out that there is a very large shadow world in your book of CIA front businesses and very innocuous facilities, both in local areas and also in very, very remote places. Can you describe some of these places in detail from what you know so we can understand their nature and their scope? Sure. I mean, a lot of these, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right that they, all of this requires an infrastructure. It requires logistics, right? So you have to have companies that are involved in this. So let's talk mm-hmm. about some of that. And lots of people helping. It's just not just not a handful of nutcases that they're putting in, you know, doing this kind of stuff. It's a large infrastructure of people that all have blood on their hands together in supporting this system, right? Absolutely. And a lot, and a lot of, you know, it's a lot of people doing one little piece that, it doesn't look like they're responsible for a lot, but all those little pieces add up to this infrastructure. Yes, yeah, the same. For example, go ahead. Go ahead. For example, there's a there's a law office outside of Boston, Massachusetts. There's a couple of divorce lawyers have a business called Hill and Placius Attorneys, and inside their office, it, this is also the address of a company called Premier Executive Transport Services, and Premier Executive Transport Services was a company that owned all of these, a lot of these rendition planes. It was like a, it was a fake aviation company that they were using to do a lot of this work. And they were represented by this, this lawyer named Dean Plakius outside of Boston, Massachusetts, a very nondescript building. Now, is he responsible for the program? Well, he's the head of a front company that does a lot of this work. It's unclear if he even knows what the work what the work is, but that's one example. Another example is a company in San Jose called Jepson Data Plan, which is a subsidiary of Boeing. Now, if you're flying airplanes around, you have to, there's a lot of logistics that goes into that. You need flight plans. If you have crews, you need to have somebody book their hotels and make sure people get fed and uh, work out all the landing permits and things like that. And that's what this company, Jepson Data Plan, did. It did did all the uh, logistics that you need to do flights. And the people inside uh, Jepson were, they knew exactly what they were doing. Actually, uh, I got in touch with a guy, he got in touch with me who had quit Jepson because he found out what was going on there. And he said, this is, he had just started working there. And he said, this is crazy. What, I, I can't do this. He, he, he thought, one day it's going to come out what's going on here and there's going to be hell to pay. Some people are going to go to prison maybe. Who knows what's going to happen? But he said, i got to get out of here. So he quit, and he became a whistleblower, and he started talking to journalists uh, you know, off the record and, and telling them some of the stuff that was going on at this company. But this is a very – this is not a – you know, some dark dungeon in Afghanistan or something like that. This is a very boring-looking company in downtown San Jose, and they have something to do with this. So those are some examples, and there's a lot of examples like that that all add up to this larger infrastructure. Do do, do you have any kind of guess, based upon the small data set that you have already, on maybe how many kind of companies out there are really front organizations for groups like the CIA for this kind of underworld activity? Oh, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. There's many, many. There's all kind of lots of fake companies, fake identities that people use. Uh, there's a whole part of the CIA that's this stuff up. Hmm. So it's an underworld going on right under our noses. Activity could be in our own neighborhood. 
going on, and we're completely unaware of these things going on. Uh, a lot of this is hidden in plain sight. Well, one of the things I wanted to make a note to Tom that will we get our announcer Merv to, mm -hmm. to announce the future? We need to make an announcement that guests of the Future Quake show are transported by Premier Executive Transport Services. Mm -hmm. And Hill and Plakius. Yeah, so we'll we'll make sure that yeah. uh, they're acknowledged here on Future Quake as their uh, official transport service. Nice. That all nice. that all them out there. So, did you have a comment you want to make, Tom? Uh, I just I'm really disturbed by all this. You're very disturbed by it. Well, yeah. I mean, I knew some of this stuff was going on, but to see it all there, sort of laid out here in a very calm, cool manner by uh, our our guest. This is one individual doing research. One individual without. I mean, you didn't have the wherewithal of a major newspaper behind you, correct? Or any other kind of major right. horsepower, major budget helping you? No, not at all. I worked on this with a, with a friend of mine who, who's an investigative journalist, and we kind of did it on our own time, really, as, as a hobby. We, we published some articles about it, but we, we, did, we didn't have a lot of money to do this. Or, okay. Uh, this, was a, this was just something we kind of felt responsible for a little bit. Well, it was just wow. something we wanted to do because we thought, well, somebody's got to do it, you know? Where, but That's awesome. Speaking of our major media, where is ABC News? Where is CNN or Fox News? Where is Time Magazine or Newsweek, U.S. News World Report? Why aren't they doing stories on this? Why, why does it take an individual like you with no resources to have to go blow something like this open when it's right under their nose? Well, to, to be fair, there, um, there's been a, a number of journalists around the world who have done really great work on this. Donna Priest at the at the Washington Post, Jane Mayer at uh, at the New Yorker, a guy named uh, Stephen Gray in the UK. There was a there was a handful of journalists, also a handful of human rights activists. There was kind of a group of people that were all working on this and, and sharing information to one extent or another with other people. Um, so I, I don't want to say that that the mainstream media completely ignored this or didn't do any work on this because there are some some very good, very uh, dedicated, and very brave reporting that was done by people in the, in the major newspapers about this. So I don't want to don't want to make it into a story that's not true either. You well, know, give give credit where credit is due, which is very very exactly. noble for you to do. But the fact of the matter is. How might this change if our news media reported on this like they did the death of Michael Jackson? And who is going to get the money? What is more important to the public interest? Who's going to get the estate of Michael Jackson versus uh, people out here in society untried without the, the light of day to be able to, to air their grievances and representation to have these kind of things done? Uh, that, that, that's the point I'm making. I, I, I don't see our mainstream media serving the public interest by uh, pointing these things out to a great degree, other than, you know, a few very noble reporters like the ones that you just cited here. Well, I, I, I think I, I completely agree with you that I think on the on the whole, uh, the mainstream media really let us down, you know, has been letting us down for a while. Yeah, mm -hmm. no kidding. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> to say the least. Can I ask you, uh, of these installations that you studied, which one would you call the most surprising that that just sort of blew you away with, with what it looked to be or how famous it was versus what it really was? To me, the, the installation that was that baffled me, that, that I really couldn't believe, was this one called the Dark Prison, mm -hmm. this, this prison where 
there's no light at all where they're, they're playing sounds constantly and where they would interrogate people with strobe lights and and just do stuff that like out of a horror movie or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's like like so hostile it's, basically. It's, yeah. And so that that to me that was just so bizarre. I couldn't believe that that was out there. But we had lots of reports, independent reports of people corroborating this. And the guys who didn't know each other would describe just describe the same place. And that that was just really unbelievable. Um there was there's been a report that I've heard about uh, occasionally, it's the uh, it's a floating prison ship that we have. That it's the whole idea. Since it's in international waters, we can kind of do whatever we want. Uh, have you heard anything about that, or is that true? Do you yeah, know? I've I've actually interviewed a guy who was in one of there was a wow. a, a ship called the U- USS Baton, and what B A T A A N I believe yep. is how it was, it was spelled, and they were grabbing people. And, and holding him in the bottom of that ship. And this was, uh, I don't know how long that went on. The guy I talked to was a guy named uh, Zaif. And he he was there, I believe, in late 2001, early 2002. They finally uh, took him out, took him out to Guantanamo Bay, but he was in one of these ships for a while. Mm-hmm. We are back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, don't put me on the rendition flight bionic. Boy, I had thought about that many a time. I'm sure you have. Have a, have a dark room. Actually, Pyro, he'll take you there. He's, we contract him yeah. to do it. Speaking of that, you know, when we talk about these, these businesses that are CIA front businesses that are just everywhere, does that sort of creep you out? It does me. When I'm just thinking about businesses in our neighborhoods or other places like that, Maybe something where, like he was saying, that these people aren't even like real people. Like they may not even exist, some of the businessmen, their owners. Nah, well, it creeps me out, but it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah. I, knew, I knew some people that lived up in Northern California who didn't have Social Security numbers, basically didn't exist on the government records, paid cash for everything. Hmm. Uh, very happy people, you know, overall, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me in the least what he was saying. Yeah, but it, to me it just... The fact that we would live in a facade that things aren't what we seem, I mean, realistically, my head can deal with it, but it just, to me, is a little creepy that you're living in a a fake world. It's almost like you're living on a Hollywood set where things aren't really real, Hmm. you know? It sounds like something that might be taught about from the Bible. Maybe I should just go get counseling. This world is not my home. Yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe I just need counseling. Not, I, not that I dwell on this a whole lot. I just think <laughs> yeah, it just seems like, sort of know. weird. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to tell you you do here on national radio, yeah. but the shoe fits. Speaking of needing counseling, Merv can come in and tell you how you can contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's the end of the road again. Man. All right. Well, I can't wait for tomorrow. Come back tomorrow for the next segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time 
as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Still don't want to go on the rendition flight, Bionic. Well, I'm glad you don't. You know, we should have a vote, a competition of people in our Futurians. <laughs> should we I'm send like Tom on a rendition flight? <laughs> we should definitely shouldn't. I don't yeah, think we'll we should. contact that organization, the Premium Executive Transport Services. Yeah, Jep's some data plan. We'll get them to file. Yeah. Stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what we're talking about, which that's common for most of our listeners, but yeah. if you have not tuned in this week, we have been interviewing Dr. Trevor Paglin, the author of Torture Taxi, On the Trail of the CIA's Rendition Flights, uh, and we're talking about the real story behind our government's secret detainment programs, hmm. where people just are picked up without rhyme or reason, they disappear, yeah. you never hear from them again, mm-hmm. uh, they do with them what they please. Uh, sort of like what happened to Pastor Anderson by the Border Patrol. Sure. Well, it's a fine line of difference. Yeah, it's um um, it's the same sort of mental thing. You get to unmake people. It's not really the person we're picking up. Yeah, he's got arms and legs and eyes, but he's a bad guy, and so he's not really human, mm-hmm. and he's not obeying what we say. So that really mm-hmm. makes him evil. It's an option op- opportunity for us to do our sadistic pleasures, yeah. which we normally have to yeah. suppress. That that. Well, did you see the picture of that guy tasering Pastor Anderson? He had that kind of almost, it was almost sexual, the pleasure he was getting out of it. It was very weird. There's a still photo of him going, well, I can't do it on radio. Please don't. Sense, yeah, and, and probably for our audience would be a good idea. <laughs> Just like this. What you're saying is perverse. Oh, it was a, totally it was, You could see it in the face. It was a, yeah, he was digging it yeah, in a very a sick perversity. way. Well, yeah. that's not a good sign for our society. No. If that's what's going not on. Not at all. Um, well, any other comments before we uh, we go to our next segment of the interview? Yeah. I thought it was very fascinating what we had yesterday, uh, uh, talking about what happens to people when they're picked up. And uh, uh, well, it's just sick. It's just sick. This whole thing with the German Muslim. I remember hearing about that right when it happened, or right when the guy got back to mm-hmm. Germany. Yeah. A little while after he got back to Germany, yeah. and I thought that's crazy. That didn't really happen. Right. And then uh, a commentator said, well, it turns out, I mean, we don't really believe this, but it turns out that some bits of his story do make sense. But, mm-hmm. but we think it's just yeah. a high-level plant by, the, right. by the, the, the Muslims, by the terrorists. Yeah. What? Yeah. Now I don't doubt it at all. From what we've oh. covered on our show over the yeah. last few years, I just really don't doubt it. Mm-hmm. But we'll let our listeners be the judge. Uh, here's our next segment with Dr. Trevor Paglin. Again, the author of Torture Taxi, On the Trail of the CIA's Rendition Flights. And then we'll be right back to discuss it here on Future Quake. How were you able to get the kind of information that you got for your book? And also, uh, you mentioned a few of these people. Um, have many of these people survived these rendition, uh, rendition events to tell the world what they've experienced? And have you been able to get most of their stories or a large number of them? We've talked to a lot of them, but they're okay. So, in in terms of how to get the information, you got to remember that this was years of research and and full time sure. research, and we're we're traveling all over the world uh, working on it. And a lot of people helped out. A lot of people for some places like the Red Cross or Human Rights Watch, uh, activist people, other journalist people helped us out. So it didn't happen in a vacuum at all. It's mostly people sharing information with each other. And 
in terms of the people who have survived, there, there have been quite a number of people at this point who have been through this program and lived to tell about it. The, the problem is oftentimes they don't want to talk about it for, for very good reasons. They're afraid. These people don't end up in the United States or in California or somewhere where, they, where they're safe. Oftentimes they'll end up in Saudi Arabia or Yemen or Libya or Egypt in, in places where they, they could have some serious problems if, if they talk too loudly about what mm-hmm. was going on. In the number of cases, these guys have gotten out and they've ended up in prison in places like Syria or Libya or Egypt. And so they're not out on the street, as it were. Oftentimes they're, they're still incarcerated, but they're in, in prison in whatever country they may have come from or mm-hmm. whatever country the U.S. finally delivered them to. Mm-hmm. So, so now they won't have passports. So probably, so they have no other way to get out or around. So they're, they're in a horrifying circumstance, a strange land. It, what do they do for there? I mean, they got to probably just eke out some sustenance existence because they're totally displaced without any documentation, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and who I don't really know what uh, what some of these guys are doing now. Actually. The guy that I just that I mentioned earlier, Binyam Mohammed, the guy who was in Morocco and was in the Stark prison for a while, was recently released to the UK, where which is where he was from. And I'm not clear exactly what he's doing right now, but he got out pretty recently. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you know, I'm just surprised that they these people go through these horrible things that they just don't knock them off. Uh, I don't think it's much more of a stress to go on, you know, stretch to kill these guys after they put them through this torture. Uh, I'm surprised any of them lived to tell the tale that they ever left there. Do you, do you ever doubt because of that, that that these guys have legitimate claims? Do they just have some kind of gripe against the U.S.? Or do, do you have certain evidence that you feel strongly that it is legitimate what they're sharing with you? Excuse me. Can you can you repeat the question? I didn't quite hear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, I'm I'm surprised that any of these guys get out alive. I would assume they would just dispose of them and they wouldn't have any conscience about it. And, and uh, do, do you wonder the, the, when these guys tell you these things? Do you have any kind of strong proof that what you're telling you is the truth, or they just have an axe to grind with the U.S.? Do you have good reason to believe the the oh. accuracy of what they're telling you? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, the, you don't have – a lot of these stories, you don't have to believe them. You can corroborate the details. So, for example, Khalid al-Majri says, I was kidnapped on this day in Macedonia. Then you can you, – there's all kinds of ways you can corroborate that. turns out one of a, an airplane owned by this company, Premier Executive Transport Service, has filed a flight plan from Palma, Mallorca to Skopje, Macedonia to Kabul, Afghanistan – via Baghdad on the same exact date that this guy said he was kidnapped. So right there, you can there's uh, additional evidence to corroborate this story. And there's all kinds of uh, corroborating evidence like that for a lot of these stories. Okay. So so you, you do have good reason to believe they're giving you legitimate information then. Uh, Absolutely. From, from what they've done. Um, now, I don't want you to give away any of your secrets here, but... It, regarding these front organizations and things like this in our own, our own country, uh, regardless of interviews you do with these other people that have experienced renditions, are there certain techniques you've come up with to f- be able to smoke out and find out if a place really is a front organization? Sure. Um, it's a lot 
harder to do now. They've reorganized a lot of the ways that these front companies work in such a way that they're a little bit harder to discover now. At the time, a lot of the things that we were doing were through the airplanes that they were using. So, for you know, our theory was, and other people had this theory, and it, it turns out it was right, that if you could figure out all the airplanes that they were using to do this, then you could, if you watched where the airplanes went, then you could probably put together a, a, a picture of what this program might look like or where a lot of it was. You know, remember, at, at the years ago, we didn't even know where these prisons were, mm-hmm. right? These guys would just disappear. We wanted to know where they were. So you could get, because, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing, is that they were using all these civilian front companies, and the civilian front companies, even though they're a fake company, they have to file all the same kinds of paperwork that any other company has to file. And with the right. aviation industry being highly regulated, they actually generate a huge uh, paper trail, and including records of all the places where they'd flown. So we were able to get a lot of those flight records and put them together, and that helped explain what some of the, the, the program looked like. So, so, so they would actually write so we, down when they flew to these bizarre places that actually be written in the record? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes Amazing. they would lie, but, but sometimes you could figure out that they were lying because the plane would land somewhere and then take off from a different place, and you're like, something weird's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um but by doing that, like we would basically try to find places where you'd, you'd look at who has contracts with the military or in, in weird kind of places. It'd look like who has an account with the military to buy fuel from military air bases. And you look at all those companies, you'd see people like FedEx would be on there and things like that. But then you'd also find companies that you'd never heard of, a company like Stevens Express Leasing. You know, like, Mm-hmm. Who the heck is this company, Stevens Express Leasing? Why do they have an account with the military to buy fuel? And uh, so you, that would be some of the ways that you've spoken out. Other ways where we would monitor all, we would do database searches with for FAA data for flight records of airplanes who had filed flight plans to Guantanamo Bay, for example. Okay. And then we would when we'd filter them, for all the civilian planes, and then we'd filter out all the transportation companies and things like that, and you would end up with a handful of flights that you couldn't explain that looked really weird. Mm-hmm. It would be a company like uh, Pass Corporation. You'd be able to look at the Pass Corporation. Why are they flying to Guantanamo Bay? you do a little bit of research on them, and you'd discover that, okay, well, these the people who are on the board of directors of this company aren't real people. They don't have credit ratings. They don't have addresses. They wow. don't have... Uh, <laughs> You know, so, wow. so that, so that's some of the ways. Basically, the idea is to think about where are all the places that this secret part of the state would intersect with the public part of the state. And mm-hmm. If you can find those borders, then you can. Then now, those are always places where you can find clues. Well, well uh, to switch gears here a little bit, um, you know, recently we've had reports released by uh, Janet DiPolitano, the head of Homeland Security that have explicitly labeled pro-life, Second Amendment, sovereignty and constitution supporters, supporters of Bob Barr, uh, Ron Paul, Chuck Baldwin, and constitution, libertarian parties, and even those who believe in end-time prophecies as being dangerous right-wing extremists that need to be monitored and infiltrated 
while simultaneously having suspicious events going on that you heard in the news, like the the uh, right-wing extremist uh, events happened uh, with the shooting the abortion doctor and the Holocaust Museum shootings, uh, conveniently happening at the same time these reports are coming out about right-wing extremists. In light of this, do you think we might see American citizens espousing these causes eventually to be picked up off the street in the same manner and now that they've been labeled terrorists, just like in the early days of the Nazi party, uh, how they did with their uh, opponents? Uh, do you see something like that happening in the days ahead? I... Personally, I don't know. I think that would take. I, I think that would be a lot to go that far. I personally, that's not. That's a. That's a little bit hard for me to imagine. But uh, yeah, the the point. Because here's the one of the reasons why this program was possible is because this wasn't people you know around the corner from your house. This would be like a nobody guy who lived in southern Afghanistan, or this would. A guy who lived in Yemen or Pakistan, you know, guys that um, don't look like us, they don't speak like us, or, and uh, it's easier to ignore this kind mm. of thing going on. I think if this were to happen in the United States, I think it would it would be a lot harder to ignore. For that reason, I, I'm I'm not sure how far that that, that would go. Well, you know, we had these uh, pain uh, ray weapons that were designed and sold when the money was gotten for the government to develop them to be used against terrorists overseas in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And what do you know? They show up on mainstream U.S. or the political conventions, and they find them there ready for crowd control for the people. Uh, this is something that you see over and over again, that terrorism has created an industry around all kinds of money is being spent in the name of terrorism. All kinds of companies they figure out okay, what's the terrorism angle that we can that we can create for our product so that we can get these contracts. Well, and it is an industry very much. Well, and you can see the uh, uh, the sort of eroding of judicial process there. Just a couple of weeks ago, a gentleman was uh, a gentleman was arrested, and by all accounts, it looks like he was guilty. But the uh, uh, the cops took a mouth swab of his mouth. And uh, then they mm -hmm. lost the DNA, so they went back to get another another subpoena, and the judge said, well, just go get the stuff. I'm not going to sign the subpoena, and he uh, rejected it. He said, I'm not going to give you another mouth swab. So what they did is they, uh, uh, they shackled him to a cell and uh, tasered him until he opened his mouth to give him the swab. Yeah. It's just, ah, gosh. Mm -hmm. well, the, the, the point I'm making is, is that I know what you're saying that we see these people, the people who look differently than us far away. But the reason that we even justify that is because they've been labeled terrorists and have played to our fears. Now we see our government actually splitting the American people apart, where they're taking certain segments of our population and saying, these people are not loyal Americans, much like they did the Japanese when they interred them. These people are not loyal. In fact, we these people are out to get us. We need to watch them. We need to infiltrate them. And when when you tolerate this kind of activity, when it's used against the, quote, bad guys, I think we run the risk by building up our tolerance level that somebody can move the bar on who these bad I guys are. I agree with you 100% on that, and I think that that's one of the really, really dangerous things about doing this kind of thing. You create all this 
capacity to find terrorists. You create an incentive to find terrorists. You get people who find terrorists get promoted. Well, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to find terrorists. And if they don't find terrorists, they're going to invent some people to call terrorists so that they can use these new laws that they have, so they can climb up that ladder, as it were. And, and there's no, no question that that sort of thing happens. If you create a incentive, if you create the capacity to do this stuff, uh, it will reproduce itself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, we even have our Boy Scouts now who have been co-opted to try to find drugs that are grown. And they go off on these events. You know, they used to go on these camping events. Now they're grown, going out to find where, where drugs are grown and be able to narc on people when they're doing that. So it, it's like we're becoming a, um, a, a, a society like the Stasi uh, of Eastern, yeah. East Germany where everyone is spying on each other and particularly our young people, to turn them in. And so when we, when we foster this dehumanization that occurs in our society, it always comes back to bite you. Uh, it, it's never going to stay used on the other people. I absolutely agree with you. I agree with you on that. And that's one of the things that's really dangerous with setting up these kinds of things. They, they never, you're absolutely right. They never stay where in the place that they were initially intended for. I mean, we see that really clearly with Abu Ghraib. Right. You know, Abu, why did Abu Ghraib happen? That shouldn't have happened. That mm -hmm. was a conventional war. It should have been Geneva Conventions. That, that should have never happened. Why did that happen? Because they had created a climate already in which this kind of behavior was normalized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same way we treated the Indians, too. Hey, you, know, you know, back in 2006, uh, Brown and Root was awarded, I believe, a $385 million contract by the federal government to build a number of internment camps to address uh, massive civil dislocations. And I had recently uh, been pursuing a, a Washington-based staffer of my own congressman uh, who, who works for him out of Washington uh, to try to find out what has been accomplished on this contract since then and where those facilities have been constructed. And it's interesting uh, that the, the staffer himself is, is, has been very perplexed at the extreme difficulty he has had in getting answers to this. It kept me updated, but he's finally had to since leave and be reassigned. But he gave me the advice to continue to work through the chief of contracting for the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, and, and this person had told him that she was shocked to find out that she had absolutely nothing in her file on the progress or the expenditures on this project. Which, which having worked in the government myself and, and been around contract work, I know there's something bizarre going on with this for a $385 million project. Do you have any information on this particular project and any locations I, I had, that are being prepared or how to find out? I, I, had, I had heard about that before, but it's not something that I've researched. As you know, this, this it's a full-time job trying to track some of this stuff down. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't taken up that that particular one, but I hope somebody does and tries to tries to figure it out. Well, could, could that somebody have the last name Paglin? Would that be a possibility? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I'm, I'm working on some other projects right now, but I hope that uh, you know, different people can do different things. You know? Well, you know, if this is a place that they plan to park you one day. It would probably behoove you to find out ahead of time. If anything, to pick one of the pick one of the nicer yeah, places. Don't go to the don't go to the dark. Uh, yeah, they camp. they yeah. probably got a dark camp with a big pole they're going to attach you to. So yeah. it's a good idea to. You're like their most wanted, you know. Yeah, they're going to call it the Paglin Room. <laughs> uh, 
you know, seriously though, we have all of these reports. You know, we have uh, for the first time ever a a military unit uh, and a brigade from Iraq that has now positioned in Fort Stewart, uh, Georgia, outside Atlanta. That in the Army Times it says their express unit is to control civil unrest in our country. The first time ever that I know that that a military unit's express purpose. I think this goes against posse comitatus. To, to directly be directed at, at this civil population. And they say in this article that they are going to use uh, the, the brand-new non-lethal technologies that are brand-new as a laboratory on the American citizens. And, and their quote from one of the people said that uh, we're going to take the lessons we learned in Iraq and apply them here. And they said hopefully people won't be shooting at us this time. So you know when, when we hear these things, and this is out of the Army documentation. Yeah. Uh, when we hear this kind of thing going on, I can't help but think that it should be a priority for us to find out about what they're going to do to us. It's terrible that they do that to these people far away. Uh, it, it's it's horrible, and, and we should do something about it. But when we know that we may have targets on ourselves, and they keep sending us these hints all the time with all these places that are being looked at to be built, and they, they, they rely on this uh, stigma of being called a conspiracy theorist to talk about it. You know, you know the, the work that you've done so far would have been called conspiracy theory a long time ago had you not had this data and put it out on the table. Uh, beforehand, yeah, people would that, have never I, believed it. That's exactly right. Uh, in, my, in my book, uh, Blank Spots on the Map, I, one of the chapters is about Area 51, this uh, secret airbase in Nevada. Hmm. And I, I talked to a lot of guys that worked there, and one of the guys, you know, of course you're interviewing these guys, and you have to ask, you know, tell me about these rumors about UFOs and things like that. And one of the guys says, well, there all those conspiracy stories about this installation are the best thing that ever happened to the Air Force. And the reason it's the best thing that ever happened to the Air Force because it made it that anybody who was interested in this stuff was crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and that it was funny to hear that from, from somebody who had actually worked there. Right. You know, it's funny, on that particular topic, there was a there was some reports out of the military decades ago, including the, the Brookings Report and other Brookings Institution and others, who in fact said that the government needed to take action on that topic to sort of make certain people out to be nuts and to throw some really bizarre things out there. As a, as a canard, you know, to throw people off and to attach a stigma of, of lunacy, you know, with what's going on with that. So I'm not shocked at all. There's a gentleman who I know. In fact, I've been out to the perimeter of Area 51. There's some pictures uh, on futurequake.com uh, of myself there. But um, there's a gentleman I know who uh, has a close associate who's worked there. And he finally had the had the, the bravery to actually ask the guy, Hey, what really goes on out there? Because you know you, they have those unmarked flights that go out there, uh, out on yeah. McCarran Airport. And uh, he, he asked him, he says, "What's going on?" And the guy just looked at him very grimly and said, "He said, if I told you what's going on out there, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night." <laughs> and he said that's always haunted him, you know, since then. What? So I'm not I'm not <laughs> shocked about I'm not shocked about you know hearing these kind of things. Of course, we had Larry Clayman on, you know, the guy who uh, founded Judicial Watch on this past week. And he has decided as a prominent conservative group, you know, that pursued not only the Clintons but Dick Cheney and, and others, that he is now going to pursue that topic since you brought it up and get our government to release files that they have. So things ought to get really interesting when you get people of that caliber uh, involved in that topic. Um, so, so anyway, I just want you to hear our two votes here 
that you pursue this issue about uh, domestic internment issues. Oh, yeah, totally. And uh, I, I think you've already worked yourself beyond uh, being stigmatized uh, by what you work <laughs> on. So at least you've, you've, you've crossed the Rubicon and are willing to pursue that and let the chips fall where they may. So uh, we would certainly help you here on our end as far as any kind of research we could help you in that particular issue. We're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, gosh, I just, I can't deal with this stuff, man. It makes me angry. That was a real long middle name. Bionic. Okay. <laughs> it's the uh, first time you ever got into the middle name, actually. Well, yeah, is that right? <laughs> yeah. My name was a subset of your middle name? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right. I mean, we, we try to cut the tension here a little bit with a little levity, but it's pretty yeah. dark. Because I joke. I jest, folks, but this is sick, sick, sick stuff. Right. And I hope our listeners feel the same way about it, too. Um, just think about if it was somebody in your family. Now, a lot of our listeners may be saying, well, hey, these guys are really, really bad guys, except for the guys who are mistaken identity. Yeah. You know, like well, we yeah, but they were about. like German Muslims. You know, they're not really people, like what I was saying so last week. Probably needed it anyway, needed, yeah, yeah. needed killing. The whole psychological mindset where you, uh, you suddenly start to unmake people, and they're no longer good or bad mm-hmm. or people you don't like or even people at all. Mm-hmm. They're just somebody that you know, annoys you, and it's like, well, okay, he annoys me. Gosh, I just want to get rid of him. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's people of a generation just a little older than me Mm -hmm. that all really had sort of a coming-of-age experience watching Mm -hmm. the movie Midnight Express Mm -hmm. about the uh, person who they they were taking like a little small package of hashish or something in the airport in Turkey and got caught when they left. Oh, I heard about this movie. And they spent forever years in horrible, horrible conditions. It shocked people when they saw it, and it horrified them. It was a true horror story mm-hmm. uh, because it was so real, and it was yep. based on a real story. Sure. They, people are horrified by that, but this actually is much worse than that. Yeah. And it's done by, quote, our guys yeah. uh, that do this. Yeah. And, um, you know, we hear echoes today of people saying, well, people don't need... They don't need to, you know, be reviewed by, uh, you know, any kind of group to see if they're guilty or not. Yeah. You know, the only time we've done that with these guys, we didn't go on Tonobo, it was determined there was no evidence for them, and they were let go. Hmm. You're right. So no wonder they don't want to, you know. Uh, this is one of those things I think I'm going to pray personally. Lord, don't lay this one at my feet. I didn't know this was going on. Uh, mm-hmm. I want no part of it. It's a good, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know? I, there's, but now that we know, what do we do about it? Uh, I have a whole host of plans. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. I uh, think you might talk to Brother Chris White a little bit about some of that. It's funny you might be mentioning that. There might yeah. be some uh, things Nowhere going to run. on there. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. good. You know, the Lord's bringing a quorum of people together to do some amazing things. And yep. another amazing person, to give him a positive spin, yeah. is our friend Merv. Would you come in and tell him how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. All right, three seconds. Two, one. <laughs> Come back tomorrow for our last segment with Dr. Paglin. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, um, at a loss for words because this is so evil, Bionic. Yeah, you know, when your middle name starts with um, I know that's what's coming. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you today. Uh, we're going to have the last segment today of our interview that we've been conducting this week with Dr. Trevor Paglin, the author of Torture Taxi, uh, On the Trail of the CIA's Rendition Flights. And we're talking about the real story behind our government's secret detainment programs. Yeah. I hope uh, people have been very motivated by what they've heard this week mm-hmm. and disturbed disturbed sufficiently for action. Yes, dis- disturbed is, is to put it mildly. You know, there may be a lot of people out there that don't lose a wink of sleep. Oh, I'm sure that's there's a, that's plenty their of people. They're just like, you that's know, their business. they're, they're protect- bad people. We they're, don't we don't need to be they're protecting dealing us. with bad people. And those are bad people, so we got to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the point I make about our terror weapons, you know, they they were designed to use for terrorists over there, and now we're finding them on our own soil that mm-hmm. they're using. Uh, we have all these guys in Iraq to go get those people over there, and now they're here on our soil planet to do it. I tell you. So what do you think's next? Uh, FEMA camp at my house. Yeah. Going, Come on, you guys. <laughs> well, we need to go to the interview. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, catch the last installment, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. You know, given your education, I asked you in the beginning of our study about uh, re- religious studies. Uh, yeah. I would like your opinion on these, what you think personally on the spiritual and moral facets of this activity, this rendition activity. Uh, which is an aspect of real interest to our listeners in particular. You know, we our, our station uh, that we broadcast on the radio is a Christian talk station. It reaches a major part of the Mid-South uh, U.S. Uh, a lot of mainstream evangelical listeners that listen to here, but we have a large national and international base. But we look at a lot of these issues. So we, we try to cover topics that aren't talked about ex- elsewhere on Christian radio, but should be. Yeah. But we look at it from that worldview. Um, many evangelicals and other people of faith, uh, like myself, uh, many of these evangelicals have been amongst the most vocal supporters of uh, activities of torture and, yeah. and using controversial facilities like Guantanamo Bay. What do you think are the morality and spirituality impacts of conducting this kind of behavior? And do you think it is ever justified? And, and 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 what does it reveal about the presumed innate righteousness of America we were all taught about growing up in our nation? Yeah, well, I know that a lot of religious people support this, but there are also a huge amount of religious people who have been very, very vocal against this. Some of the, the biggest activists against this, uh, this system and some of these activities is a group out of North Carolina called uh, Stop Torture Now. And it's mostly... Uh, Christians who who have taken this cause up and really uh, fought really hard to to end some of these programs and, and to try to expose this stuff. I always thought that the that the point of spirituality or religion or or faith or belief is to try to elevate humans, to try to create a sense of human dignity. Uh, to try to make ourselves better, to be better to other people. And it worries me when uh, these, these, these kinds of programs, when we don't hold ourselves to a very high standard, then we degrade ourselves. And I think that this it creates a, a profound 
moral and, and spiritual crisis in our society when we do things that are universally recognized as, as being absolutely off limits. I mean, there. Mm-hmm. I mean, ten years ago, if you would have said, "Oh, maybe we should uh, torture people," you would have been laughed out of. You would. I mean, that would have been a ridiculous thing to say. You know, that would be so out of bounds that nobody would take you seriously, and it's really, really disturbing to me. Well, we've gotten to the point where this is even a debate. Mm-hmm. How, you, how do you, how do you debate something that is universally recognized as being completely inhuman, completely uh, degrading of other people, degrading of yourself? Uh, to me, that's that's a real tragedy with a lot of this program. Is that there, there's even a debate about mm-hmm. something that. The debate had had ended a long time ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Had any has any of this affected your spiritual walk with God, and in, in what you've seen? Well, I'm not a person of faith myself. I mean, even though I've I've spent a lot of time studying religion, but I I think you know working with a lot of these these Christians in North Carolina, that I actually wrote about them in one of the chapters in, in Torture. See, it's really amazing to see how they were able to in their faith find the courage to work on a lot of this because when you when you take this stuff up and when you kind of claim responsibility for it and you say hey i don't want this stuff going and going on in my name mm-hmm. uh that requires a lot of courage that requires a lot of courage to go again to say you know you know look government what, what you're doing is wrong, and I, and I think you should stop it and to put your name on that and to go public with that. That's something that, that everybody can do, and it's, it's been really mm-hmm. impressive to me how, how some of these, these people have been able to draw upon their faith as a, as a way to mm-hmm. find the courage to do that. Well, I find it interesting that you, who, who say you're not a person of faith, have at least uh, have a measure of respect for these people. And I think that's a message for our listeners who are people of faith, evangelical Christians and others, that when you take a stand to, to be your brother's keeper, to, to look out for the welfare of your other neighbors, that you will earn the respect of people outside the circle of faith. And and many people of faith wonder why they're not more relevant in our society. How come they don't have more of an impact like they used to in society? But if you go back a long time ago, generations ago, people of faith were starting orphanages. We're trying to clean up neighborhoods and to help, uh, and, and, and not just purely social acts. And they were concerned about spiritual matters, too, but they're, but they're linked. And so I find we have less and less emphasis on those kind of things, although there's still plenty that goes on. But, but it's not as high profile, and I think that's part of the solution why uh, people who are of faith have lost some of the influence in society and respect. Uh, it, it, that, that's what I read from your comments, I guess. Uh, I, I would say let, let, let me just be a little devil's advocate on something to try to mm-hmm. find some kind of means to, to uh, in a flimsy way justify uh, the, the people who have supported this you know you have people who come from a cold warrior attitude mm-hmm. where they were worried about an enemy that had weapons of destruction that could wipe us all off the map and an ideology that was intended to conquer the world one country at a time and the feeling was that America was really the only force strong enough to meet these people at every front, even if it was far away from our country, whether it was Vietnam or wherever else. And they were so brutal in their activities because they were godless, had no moral restrictions at all, that it required extreme measures 
uh, on our behalf to deal with them. And now terrorism, you know, maybe it's Islamicism or terrorism or whatever has replaced that as the enemy that justifies that thinking. Do you have any sympathy for people who've come up under that worldview and thinking uh, as a means of justifying what goes on, or is that really just a, just a canard that should be dismissed? I, I know from my own life that when I'm afraid or when people are afraid, it's, it's easy to make bad decisions out of fear. And it's easy to not do the right thing when you're afraid. And I can understand that. But I think that that is something that we have to rise above. We have to recognize that in ourselves. And and we have to hold ourselves to a a higher standard. That's what I think. Because if we don't do that, then we lose everything. We lose everything that that the founding fathers tried to do setting up this country. We lose everything that everybody in World War II died to try to uphold. There's a lot of people who have made a lot of sacrifices for us to live in a country like the one that we do, and I think that we dishonor their sacrifices if we abandon the values that many, many people have died for. Mm-hmm. What And what set us apart. And that's why the, the Germans of World War II ran to our front to give themselves up rather than fight grimly on the eastern front because they knew a fate worse than death faced them in the gulags of Russia. Therefore, they would fight with grim determination to the end, whereas, you know, on our side, um, they they knew that we were a decent people uh, that would would treat them decently, and I I sure hope we haven't eroded that opinion. And, you know, I hope, uh, given this this talk on the spiritual issues, that... uh, we here at the Future Quake Show can earn respect of people like yourself and our, our listeners as well, too, in that we want to confront these issues, no matter how difficult they are, mm-hmm. and look from an attitude of decency in what our responsibilities are as human beings and their dignity. And, and like, like the people you referred to at Stop Torture Now, it is consistent with their faith, with their worldview, with what their Bible teaches. It's not inconsistent with it. So um, I, I'm, I'm just glad that you have that message for us and our listeners out there. What what do you think we as citizens uh, should do, if anything, about this matter? And if so, uh, what do you think would be effective? I think first of, of all, that I think the first thing is to confront these things for ourselves, right? To really sit back and and, and, and try to come to terms with it, each one of us. So here are the facts. The fact is we've been running the, these these prison systems, these detentions, these torture programs in ways that are outside of the law and that are having a profound effect on our society in terms of you know, legally how it's set up and also spiritually how it's set up and emotionally. And I think that's the first thing. The second thing is to recognize but these are civic institutions. When we are talking about secret CIA black sites or torture programs or things like that, they're really they're like the local libraries in the sense that you own them. They are paid for with your tax dollars, and ultimately you're responsible for them, right? I mean, that, 
that's that's the problem. That's the price of being in a democratic country is that you're responsible for the stuff that your government does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the second step. And I think that once when you've confronted that these issues, once you take and assume the kind of responsibility for them, then you're in a position to do something about them. And I, there's all kinds of things that people can do about them. There are uh, groups like Human Rights Watch, Center for Constitutional Rights that are working on this. There's plenty of people uh, inside the military who are, are trying to do good work and, and shut some of this stuff down. You can write to your Congress people. The basic thing that we want to do is to create an environment where this is once again unacceptable, right? And uh, and I, I think that that's the main thing. I think that there there probably should be some kind of uh, investigations officially into these programs, some kind of airing in public mm-hmm. of this. And and I think that the way that's going to happen is basically putting pressure on Congress. They're, they're going to be responsible for it. The Obama administration is really not doing much at all to to try to come to terms with some of this. And so I think we need to put pressure on our own government to to air this out. You know, if the church unified, they have enough clout if they would stand in unity to have a big say on this. You know, Absolutely. You, you think about now, 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 Tom and I don't come from a Catholic persuasion, but you think about what happened in Poland when the church stood strong with the people and started the domino effect in Eastern Europe, uh, back with the shipyard workers in Gdansk. Yep. And you think about what they could do now if they stood in unity. I mean, if we can't agree in unity that torture is wrong, then what, what can we stand with? Uh, we could actually have a big effect rather than some of the silly stuff that we do. Uh, it's to focus on these kind of things. And, you know, those of you out there listening who are still worried about terrorists and things like this, do you understand that when we do these kind of things, this is the kind of stuff that breeds terrorists. This is the kind of stuff that is reported in madrasas when they show this information and recruit new terrorists. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, this is the best way to fight terrorism is to create a better alternative to it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and that, that's something that the, the United States has actually been really good at, you know? It's remarkable how little terrorism there actually is in the United States compared to other countries. I mean, it's actually amazing if you think mm-hmm. about it, how little terrorism there is. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason for that, or a big part of the reason for that, is that... Uh, Generally, the United States has been a, a place where uh, all kinds of different people could go and, and live in peace and, and have a good life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we need to keep that image around the world. Well, you know, if, if the Taliban came in Kansas City and built a massive base there to operate, I wouldn't be shocked to find some Americans doing terrorist activities against the people in that base. Yet we build... We build massive bases in Saudi Arabia and all of these other places in the world, right in the middle of the Islamic world, and are shocked that these people are offended by it. Uh, you know, th- this kind of... Yeah, imagine if, if the French invaded 
tomorrow and they, they told you started telling you what what to do and setting up checkpoints and driving around and and imagine what if they set up prisons and did to your family some of the stuff that went into Abu Ghraib what do you think you would do I, mm-hmm. I would fight them personally mm-hmm. right yeah and and you know you were talking about how things are different in a view a few years ago um, a couple of years ago I would have had the complete opposite view of what I'm sharing you right now and that's why this whole future quake experiment we've done on our show has been an odyssey for us to come to an understanding and completely reevaluate as Christians what we stand for and what we believe in our worldview and looking at ourselves as Christian Americans in particular uh, in in what's going on. So this is something that's a journey that we all have to take, but I hope we can take it quickly so we can be effective and, and better understand what, what reality is, or at least what I, th- I don't want to be arrogant uh, in saying that, but it's still a journey for us here as well. But 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 to recognize these kind of things and put ourselves in the other shoes of people, uh, and, and understand what their perspective would be. Uh, you know, b- based upon your experience and as, as a as a real expert in this area, what developments do you think we're going to see in the future regarding the subject? Well, that's a really good question, and the problem is that this this, this kind of thing is always changing, and it's always really hard to figure it out. <laughs> In terms of the rendition kind of programs and, and those things, what seems like has happened is that the United States has gotten a lot better about keeping our own hands off of it. In other words, all this stuff is still going on. It's just through the Egyptians or the Kenyans, and, the, yeah. and they were using mm-hmm. other countries. A proxy, a proxy yeah. Much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that seems to be one of one of the big shifts. That's been happening recently. I remember hearing about the, uh, what was it, one of the World Trade Center bombers, the first in 93. Uh, they wanted to get some info out of the guy, so and mm-hmm. he wouldn't talk, so they flew him to Egypt and put him on a spit and turned him over and opened fire until he started talking. Mm-hmm. And that was and that was part of the official records. I remember hearing that several years okay. ago, actually. So we have plausible deniability, however, yeah. of, of what We goes didn't on. do it, but the FBI guys were in the yeah. room taking notes. You know, we're going to have bizarre displacements in the future. Did you hear about the Chinese Islamic guys who were taken from Guantanamo and put on this little spot in Bermuda? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. With with the pool and the other kind of stuff, you know, we're we're going to have a very strange relocation program if this thing continues like it's going. We're all the, the pot's going to really be stirred. Um, but but I, I'm very curious to see if things turn inward. Now that we're starting to not label people overseas as terrorists, but we're starting to label our own citizens as such, uh, I I really believe that some of these activities will start. And in fact, if you look at the history of other modern uh, Western uh, countries like, like, you know, Nazi Germany pre-war and other things, these same things happened where people were just picked up, grabbed off the streets and disappeared. You know, Pinochet uh, in, in Argentina, same kind <laughs> yeah. of thing where these things are going on. So I, I'm not going to be shocked it happens. I know we're coming up toward the end, and I want to make sure to promote your other books. Uh, can you give us a quick, just a couple of minutes summary of your, your other books, Blank Spots on the Map? And I could tell you, but then you'd have to be destroyed by me. One of my favorite, favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the first book here is called Torture Taxi on the Trail of CIA Rendition Flights. Mm-hmm. And then the second book is a little bit more lighthearted in, in uh-huh. a weird way. It's called I Could Tell You, But Then You Would Have to Be Destroyed by Me. And it's a collection of 
like patches that, that people wear on uniforms, but patches that are for black projects or secret projects. Mm. It's, this, it's, it's a weird collection of things, and it's a you know, uh, symbols, really, that, that point to programs whose names cannot be spoken. And it's, a, it's a very strange paradox in, in that part of the military. And actually, in researching that, I, I was looking at a lot of religious art and a lot of Christian symbolism because when, when Christians were, were persecuted during the Roman times, they would have elaborate symbolic systems that if you were a Christian, you would be able to recognize Mm. Other Christians, right. you know, with, the, yeah. with like marks like the fish and that sort of thing. That's but right. if you weren't, they wouldn't make any sense. And uh, and then you see something very similar going on with some of the symbols associated with these black projects. And so that's what that book is about. And then my uh, most recent book is called Blank Spots on the Map: uh, The Dark Geography of the Pentagon's Secret World. And that is that's more of a historical overview. Uh, you know, that kind of asks a bigger scale questions like, how did we get a $40 billion black budget? Did we get, uh, you know, millions of people who work on secret projects? What does, what are some of the places where this, this goes on? What, you know, everything from the rendition program to places like Area 51 to secret satellites in the sky and, mm-hmm. and, and really trying to Look at look at a broader swath of of secrecy in, in this way. Well, that'd be a a topic that we would love to have you back on if you'd ever come back yeah. on our show. Yeah. Uh, to to talk about that, I'm still trying to find out about the uh, the patch the guys were wearing at Wright Patterson Air Force Base when I was there recently on some work, and they had a a big pyramid uh, on their mm-hmm. chest with the eye floating over the top of it uh, on their military fatigue. So I thought that's a very interesting. Uh, uh, patch that they that they had on, uh, but yeah, we sure like to have you come back to talk about some of these kind of things. Can you give us any kind of quick hints or descriptions of your upcoming projects? Uh, well, uh, I'm working on a, on a book actually, of photography that'll come out next year, mm-hmm. and and I'm not I, I don't I don't want to hint at what I'm what I'm working on next. I, it may be something about satellites. Okay, maybe. Wow. <laughs> well, and we don't want to be killed, so that's yeah. important to yeah, us too. Yeah, destroy us. <laughs> uh, and, and we've not we've not talked about your 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 career as an artist, but you are a true bona fide artist, a photographer. Yeah. Uh, your 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 thing, your real Renaissance man. Your work is displayed in numerous galleries, uh, and uh, that's another major contribution. You're you're very much like a Leonardo da Vinci in that respect. Um, but uh, we would sure like for you to look at some of these domestic places and try to figure out what's going on with them. You you would be doing us a big favor, and we'd sure like to help you with that. And uh, in conclusion, can, can you tell our listeners how they can get your books and keep up with your other work? Absolutely. So my website is my last name, Paglen.com. That's P-A-G-L-E-N.com. And there's, there's links to all of the different projects I've worked on there. And then my books are just available at Amazon or at, at most bookstores. Uh, your local uh, Barnes and Noble or Borders should have it. Well, the reviews I read they were they were riveting. Everybody said that uh, they usually read them at one setting uh, when they when they read them. And if you don't mind, we're going to put your uh, your link on our website 
uh, where we'll have your show stored there uh, as well. Uh, would you uh, would you say that you enjoyed uh, your experience here at Future Quake, your inaugural voyage, and you think you might come back and join us again sometime? Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to talk to me and your interest in my work. And I had a great time talking to you, and I really want to thank you for having me on the show. Well, oh we, gosh, thank you. We have many tens of thousands of regular listeners, and they're the kind of people who buy the kind of books yeah. uh, that you've done. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people making their way to Amazon.com. Uh, we appreciate your work. And mm-hmm. it just shows, yet again, the parade of heroes that we have on FutureQuake and individual people that can do amazing things if you just take the will to do it and and stick with it. You don't have to have tremendous resources or backing behind you. You just have to care and have a passion for what you're doing. And I just want to thank you so much for your service to our country and to humanity with what you're doing. And I'm really excited with what you're going to be doing in the future. And I hope you'll come back and tell us when you get some new hot data. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well, and if you, and I tell you what, if you'll check out and listen to FutureQuake, futurequake.com once a week, uh, we're on iTunes as well. Uh, I think you'll find a lot of information that you may find inspirational for some of your other work. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you again, and God bless you for your for uh, for your work, and we'll be talking mm-hmm. with you soon. Thank you very much. Bye bye now. Bye. We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. Going to go visit a group called Stop Torture Now, Bionic. Hey, soon. that's a good name for a last name. Yeah. You know that was a real inspiration, wasn't it? I mean, I, w- I was glad we talked about spiritual things on on this aspect, mm-hmm. and he was able to say, although. He wouldn't consider himself a person of faith. Mm-hmm. He has a respect for those people. Stop torture now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's a lesson for us. Well, and that's the whole thing. Uh, I'm I'm working on a top secret project right now, which we'll, may unveil here in a couple months. Where you'd have to destroy me if you told me. No, 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 okay. no. But we were talk- I was, I was one of the points I was making while putting this whole thing together was uh, the level of the level of influence that that your witness, your personal witness, the way you walk your life, mm-hmm. is just huge. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that a lot of us, me included, take for granted. Right. So. Well, we'd like to hear what you all thought about this interview. So, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're just wrapping up here. Any yeah. conclusion? Um this is sick. Everybody needs to get up out of their armchair and mm-hmm. do something about this. Right, right. And uh, we certainly encourage that. We want to hear from you. Come back tomorrow for tomorrow's Tremors. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. I think these are the days of Elijah, you know, Bionic. Oh, that's an interesting and intriguing uh, middle name. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you for another Friday of the Future Quake show. Uh, we had a great guest this week, uh, uh, Dr. Trevor Paglin, mm-hmm. who very intriguing, his research. Fascinating, I know. And I sure hope he comes back with some of his new yeah. research. Yeah. You know what? I hope when they finally come pick us up in the truck, you think he can track us down? Maybe. It depends on what prison they put us in. I'll tell you what we do. We need to get some chips, not in our forehead or right hand, but something in us that we could give him the code, like a beacon, and he could find us because he's a geographer. Well, I tell you, man, I tend to look at um, I tend to look at those places as a mission field, to be honest. If in the event yeah, that I do yeah. get picked up, it's like, all right, here I am. I'm going to be like John the Baptist. Would be talking to the camp guards. Can you get me? Can you get me some camel hair? And I only eat honey. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know? you know, if we get there with some of our friends and they put us in the same camp, we just set up a little tent revival. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have a bunch of other people that we can talk about the Lord to them, and the Lord will give us one time to see a sort of a ladder rain. There you go. Come right there in the camp. Yeah. And maybe they'll serve us food at the same time. Yeah, like laced with arsenic or something. I uh, hope not. Probably just fluoride. That'd be bad enough. Yeah. Fluoridated water. Gives you headache. We're all sort of. But you know what? You know, think about that. We could all have same bunks. Yeah. They might put us out working in the fields or something like that. That would not be so good for Doctor Future. People could like, you know, pick fruit and sing the Future Quake theme. Nothing can. No, that's well. It, yeah, you know, it has same. new awards. Yeah. New awards. Well, you know, there's going to be some future embodiments of that coming up. There, oh. There's yeah. It's it's not going to stay static. Yeah. Wow. We're in days of transition. But, you know, it's we look at the negative, a lot of these kind of things, but the Lord will be there. Mm-hmm. And he might put us all there together in one spot so we can just focus on things of the Lord. You these know? are the days of Elijah, my friend. And we could look up and watch the clouds roll back like a scroll. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit's coming on, and it's just mm-hmm. amazing to see. But in the meantime, it's Friday. And what does that mean, my dear friend, Tom it Bionic? Is, it is time to, well, for me, it's time to wash jeans, usually. Yeah, I'm sure that relates to our listeners. It's Gene Washing Day. Well, you asked me what day it was. Yeah. And then you said it's Friday. Yeah. So, like, are you trying to trick them? or? Well, what it is is tomorrow's trimmers or today's review of the Futures News. Every Friday we do a review of the news. Oh, that's news. right. I forgot. I forgot. I know. You're new here. So yeah. <laughs> just every week for the last year and a half or more uh, we've been doing this with you. Yeah. Um, would you like me to start with the story? Uh, man, I took up all of our time last week, so you should well, definitely. Are you start. sure? Okay. Yeah. Well, here we go. I'm definitely sure I took up all of our time last. Okay. week. Okay. Well, don't worry about that. We'll just jump right in. Yep. Jump right into this. But well, one aside, we don't have enough asides yet. Um, I've just stumbled across some new information online about some really serious researchers that have looked at the the traditions and the rituals at Bohemian Grove, mm. and they are serious scholars that are trying to find out the ancient roots of it. Wow. And I'm finding all sorts of really good, and they seem to be very responsible researchers where mm-hmm. they don't they don't just jump on something and say that's it. They actually show the merits and, and things like this. Wow. But, but the more I read about this, the more I think there is a connection to um, Revelation 18 and the merchants of the earth and the kings of the earth uh, doing their sorcery with these spirits in Babylon to deceive the nations of the earth. You know, the, uh, it appears that this whole thing about... Um, the cremation of care ceremony mm-hmm. they do. That's exactly what they did when they worshipped. Is it uh, Dionysus? Dionysus. Or Dionysus. Yeah, um, or Dionysus. I think it's Dionysus. That that person. With the D. When, yeah. uh, when they would worship, they did a cremation of care ceremony. 
and they actually burned, you know, these were real sacrifices, Mm -hmm. and they put all of their inhibition and cares on this thing. And then they went across the countryside and wreaked havoc. And even Tom Horn's books talk about this a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, When the ancient Greek writers said they would go across the countryside, and, like, if they found a small animal that was, you know, like a little baby, the, the women would suckle it, you know, like nurse it. Mm-hmm. But if it offered any resistance, or if the like bigger animals would try to get away, they would just tear it apart limb from limb. They would just Whoa. completely tear it apart, and they would they would consume the animal while it was still alive. I mean, they totally depraved, completely depraved. Yeah. And they said people people were were vulnerable to it if they didn't get out of there. But what happened was they they had strong drink. They would drink this really really strong drink, and it would get them in this crazy bacchanalian, you know, stage. Hmm. which is what they've reported. I was just reading the Vanity Fair article about Bohemian Grove, and they all get them so sloppy drunk there when they do it. And, in fact, it even says that at that same time, the god Cybel, I believe, was brought into this. And part of that was that the priests um, were, were castrated, and they were made where they would dress up, the males would dress up as women, and they would act androgynous or as they were women. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, you know, homosexual activity, stuff like that, which is just like the reports you hear at Bohemian Grove, where they would do that activity. They would dress up like women on stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can't be a fluke. Well, I know where you're right. And in fact, Cybele had an owl. I know. An owl was the main. Really? Go- yeah. Whoa. Representation of Cybele, who was worshipped along with Dionysus. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I know where the front door is. We could get, uh, you know, I've told you about this DVD track thing mm-hmm. that's been going on. We could burn a thousand copies and just fly out there this weekend. Just give them to people. Just we'll set up a table. I know. Is this is this Bohemian Grove weekend coming up? I think so. Yeah. Huh. You know what I thought about would be sort of neat is just to uh, run out of gas outside the gate and just stand out there in front of the thing when they come in, bringing their VIPs in. Yeah. Have a camera on your lapel or something. That'd be they cool. roll the window well, down, see who's coming in there. Well, there will be some problems. To the world. Mainly, mainly the uh, the CIA guys who man the gate and the Sonoma County yeah. sheriffs who watch the whole event. So would they like send us to one of those rendition flights? Uh, the CM probably a CMU camp, okay. which we may get into here. Okay. Why, don't you, why don't you go ahead and read your story? Well, I just wanted to say that because I used to think Bohemian Grove or had suspicions that it was some exaggerated thing of conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. It was almost too good to be true in the aspect of exposing. I thought, you know, and, and you know, we tell other people about this, and they roll their eyes. Even when they see it, it's like, I heard somebody, a good friend of mine, say the other day, well, it just means boys will be boys. Yeah, I know. I talked to a friend of mine, yeah. and I showed him that, and I, I told him exactly. I said, top world leaders get together, dress up in robes, worship a giant stone owl, get sloppy drunk, uh-huh. uh, have gay sex. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I don't believe it. And yeah. so then I played him, you know, clips right. from the video, and he goes, right. well, okay, yeah, but I just, that's too far out. Like, well, what so do you mean? What did you see with your eyes there? Yeah, I was like, yeah. did you not see it? Yeah. He's like, well, yeah, but, I mean, I'm going to have to see documented proof. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you what talking else? about? You see it with your own eyes. Uh, well, the, the Vanity Fair author, remember, that got arrested recently? Uh-huh. I found the article online where it talks about, you know, they were going in there for unrelated reason. They were going in there to try to find out why they were cutting all the trees down. It was environmental reasons why they were going in there. Hmm. But they happened to be in there looking around and decided to sit down and the cremation of care ceremony started. So they sat down with all these other, you know, well-known people. Mm-hmm. And right when they started, they heard the things that they were saying, which was the exactly what's been reported. Mm-hmm. And, and they sort of got caught. So they kept moving to stay away while they're sitting in the perimeter. And finally, they corralled them hmm. and, and got them out of there. But... Uh, 
I really think there is something to this that needs to be exposed and found out. And I've got some new references that I think can get some new data. So may hear some more about this Great. in the future. I'd love but to. What days do they? I know it's right around this uh, time. It's right. Usually, it's usually right after the Fourth of July weekend. Fourth of July. When weekend. I was when I was there last last uh, when I was there last year, it was. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it was it was either the ninth or the yeah. the second or third weekend. I heard I heard it can go several weeks. Yeah, it, it was yeah. a two week long thing, but it yeah. it starts. I think I think the cremation of care is Saturday. Yeah, I think the fifteenth last year is what I read is when they did it. Oh. But can I just before I move to the story? Can I just say a quick word of prayer? Yeah. To 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 bind whatever spirits mm-hmm. could impact people. Yeah. Here and around absolutely. the world from that, if you yeah. don't mind, since we're that season, sure. hit it. Heavenly Father, I just come to you with a request on behalf of all my brothers and sisters who are listening and those who agree with us in this request that lord whatever evil is going on out at that place whatever pagan worship that's given to any other entity other than you any activity that you forbid or ban anything lord that's talked about in your bible as as an abhorrence to you lord and the spiritual entities that gave a foothold in these people to be able to, to impact all the people of the world, all of the wealthy industrialists, mm-hmm. uh, our presidents, mm-hmm. our, our government leaders, our foreign government leaders there, media people, Lord, that, that have sway over this world and the king of this world. Lord, I just pray that you would bind them. I pray other Christians would be led now to pray that you would stop them, Lord, from these evil things. Lord, we know if the time is short that, that evil will reign, Lord, and that it will have its time. But, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to resist evil, Lord, mm-hmm. and to shun evil. We would shun their evil works, Lord, that maybe some could be saved from it and repent mm-hmm. of this activity. Mm-hmm. The Lord, if they have any Christian background or relationship with you, uh, no matter how seductive it is, that they would see it for what it is, Lord, and flee in terror from it. Lord, if anything, expose and resist the evil that's there. Lord, I pray that you would protect people who would suffer from the evil acts that would come from this. Lord, I just pray that you would, would accept our prayer, Lord, and that good work would be done in the heavens and that evil would be restrained. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah. So I'm sorry to get away and all that. Okay. Can I go on a story? Uh, yeah, hit us. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is the reason. A bill gives eternally general power to designate gun owners, tax protesters as terrorists. Oh, you got the same story I did. That's a good one, though. Oh, go for it. I got, I got a ton of them. Well, we can talk back and forth yeah. on this. Um uh, amendments to the 2010 National Defense Authorization Act, which has already been passed by the House, would empower the Attorney General Eric Holder. Now, Eric Holder is a guy, remember, who actually uh, executed the Mark Rich pardon, that big evil evil guy who, on the last day, Bill Clinton pardoned the guy, mm-hmm. who everybody you know held in great contempt for being a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Eric Holder was a guy who did that, so now he's our Attorney General. Nice. So this would empower Eric Holder to define gun owners, anti-abortion activists, and tax protesters as domestic terrorists in light of recent federal reports that classify millions of Americans as extremists. The uh, former impeached Florida judge and now Democratic congressman, Alcee Hastings, has introduced amendments to H.R. 2647, National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2010 which would give Holder dictator powers to demonize legitimate protest groups as being affiliated with violent race-hate organizations. Well, and as we also saw, uh, Alcee Hastings, of course, gave that, fostered that, that, uh, uh, that bill that would 
fund those uh, those camps that were actually on military bases right. to detain people. That's right. Yep. Same guy. Yep. Same guy. Somebody needs to be finding out more about him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the bill is ostensibly aimed at preventing race extremists and gang members from joining the army. But since the army already hires felons, criminals, racists, and gang members. Yeah, wait a minute. The whole thing about the army is back in the, even back in the 70s, they'd say, well, you really screwed up. You better join the army or go yeah, to jail. Right. It was a way to sort of get them on the right foot. Yeah. He says the real purpose behind the legislation is to codify the move to label gun owners, anti-government activists, and tax protesters as domestic terrorists, a process that has been ongoing since the start of the decade. The bill's definition of people associated or affiliated with hate groups include groups or organizations that espouse an intention or expectation of armed revolutionary activity against the United States government or other groups or organizations that are determined by the Attorney General to be of a violent extremist nature. The evidence required to show that such an organization is affiliated with a violent hate group includes people possessing tattoos identifying themselves with the group, individuals who attend conferences or rallies sponsored by a hate group, people who engage in online discussion forums of an extremist nature, people who possess documents, books, or photographs, or simply related materials as defined by the Attorney General that represent hate propaganda. The amendments introduced by Hastings were passed by the House, and the bill now moves on to the Senate for approval before it is signed by the President. Since the definition of extremist has already been established by numerous federal documents, which we've talked about here on the show, mm-hmm. over the last few that, years. That, according to some people, don't exist, and I should just... Except I have them on my in-basket. Yeah, I have the actual government documents in my computer. Mike, you don't understand, Dr. Future. They don't exist. When it says that people who believe end-time prophecies you don't, they are don't extremist exist, hate Mike. groups. Come on, man. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, since the definition has been established by numerous federal documents over the last few years that lists law-abiding citizens as domestic terrorists, Hastings' amendments are simply an attempt to centralize the power to demonize such groups into the hands of the Obama administration. He, uh, This is one of the worst pieces of legislation to come down the pike in a long, long time. In, essenti- in essence, Attorney General Eric Holder uh is a Bill Clinton retread, will have the discretion to label Americans terrorists. Hastings is a dangerous man, should be forced to resign from Congress. This, this amendment is part and parcel of a trend this country to suppress dissent by patriots by calling them domestic terrorists, warns writer Mike Baker. I don't know where you're getting this stuff, man, but clearly you're not supporting the government, so you're a terrorist. Uh, and now it's down to one man. One man gets to decide who it is. You're a terrorist. If you if you fall on the bad side of You're, Eric Holder, I, I think even, I would start buying him a cup of coffee or buying his meal. You know, stay Eric, on his good side. Eric Holder. Yeah, because there's only one guy who's going to decide. I think he's wedgy material, personally. Okay, well, <laughs> you're you know you may have a rendition flight waiting for you if you don't watch your yeah. p's and q's. Yeah. Um, well, let me just close here by saying, uh, Congressman T- Trent Franks of Arizona expressed his concern about the amendment on the House floor, noting that under Homeland Security's very definition of what constitutes an extremist, the majority of Americans will be characterized as hate criminals. Mm -hmm. While the amendment seeks to keep gang members and members of violent groups out of the military, the amendment by its language is much more broad. It confers upon Attorney General the ability to categorize groups as hate groups, and this sounds an alarm for many of us because of the recent shocking and offensive report 
released by the Department of Homeland Security, uh, which uh, labeled arguably a majority of Americans as extremists, warned Franks. He says, I take an extreme offense that the federal government, through a report issued under the authority of a cabinet-level official, would dare to characterize people who are dedicated to a single issue, such as opposition to abortion or immigration, as right-wing extremists. And it begs the question whether the Attorney General, under Mr. Hastings' amendment, can look to the Napolitano report to decide who is an extremist, or can make the same categorization of the majority of Americans as extremists who may then be kept from joining the military or who may be discharged, said Representative Franks. You're a terrorist. Dr. Well, Future. I mean, I don't know. I, I wonder if we could get you. him on our show. Eric Holder? No, Trent Franks. That'd be a good one. If we had Eric Holder on, we would be locked up before the show was over. <laughs> he would have a nod off the phone there, and they would show yeah. up, and you'd yeah. hear our heels dragging out of the Future Quick Studios. Well, um, you know, one of the guys that we might, I, I don't know if you've seen this video, but I won't comment on it. Have you seen the video that got went recently to your in-basket uh, of uh, uh, Admiral Stubblebine, head of the U.S. Signal Intelligence? Uh no, you know, I've seen him before somewhere, and I can't remember where I've seen him at, but you mentioned that he might be a good guest. Hey, I'll try it. We'll Holy see what happens. We'll, uh, we'll have to look at the um, – I'll let you – I'm not going to comment. Yeah. I don't want to be, you know, right. uh, prophecy, and I don't want to be a false prophet on who comes to the to the show next. But Okay. Uh, watch the video, and if you concur – Talking to our listeners or you talking to me? Talk to you. Okay. Uh, you should uh, – Okay. All right. There you go. Well – uh, you got something else to share? There was more on that, oh, but I realized I was growing on. I don't on. know. Do we want to hear about the fact that uh, Goldman Sachs has been caught red-handed manipulating the market, or do we want to hear about, uh, um, or do we want to hear about uh, uh, um, what do they call these communications management units? Tell us what that is. Um, this is. I actually got this on off a website that I I actually don't agree with most of the stuff he posts, but it's an interesting place just for raw information. Right, me. right. Uh, he wrote this quick little thing. Uh, it's uh, from Green is the New Red. The okay. idea that green and ecology and stuff mm -hmm. uh, is really, they're really, everybody's a terrorist who does that stuff. Okay. Um, this morning, Andy, Andy Step, Stepanian and I were on Democracy Now! talking about secretive political prisons called communication management units. Stepanian is believed to be the first inmate ever released from one of the secretive facilities. He is one of the SHAC-7, a group of animal rights activists, activists convicted of animal enterprise terrorism for running a controversial and effective website targeting an animal testing lab called Huntingdon Life Sciences. Now, was he involved in doing some damage to it or uh, damaging the place? Well, according to this, he ran a website. But there was no actual, he didn't actually deface any property or anything. Okay. So I, he had no I've physical yet, acts that you yeah, read I have of. Yet okay. to, I have yet to make that, to draw that conclusion. But okay. as far as I know, that is that is the case. Okay. Uh, I was invited back on the program to talk about my reporting on CMUs and about the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act. The previous program focused on Dan McCowan's case in the Earth Liberation Front, arrests of Operation Packfire. Thanks to the Democracy Now! for continuing to focus on these, to focus much needed attention on these secretive prisons. The Obama administration needs to reverse the unconstitutional policies of the Bush administration and provide accountability and transparency. 
secretive political prisons have no place in a democracy. Uh, so uh, part of the reason I read that is I just want to see if the listeners can help me out with that a little bit. Uh, if they can look up some of the stuff on the CMUs, mm-hmm. I just I literally have no time these days. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just be great to see if anybody could come up with if they do in fact exist exist and if they really are in fact. This is not related to the supermax prison stuff I was looking up. Um, I don't know yet. I haven't okay. I haven't reviewed your information. Okay, um, and also our friends at uh, World of Prophecy could help us with that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they could find out some things yeah. for us. I'd like to see if that is true. Okay. I'd like to see if they jailed that guy for running a website, first of all. Yeah. You know? Like, if that's really what they did, then... Um, maybe we would get off if we don't run it well. You know, maybe ours doesn't meet the effectiveness criteria for it. Yeah. So, scary. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, with, with what we just had with the rendition flights and things like this, it, it is a police state we live in. And, you know, that's that's one of the representations on the side of the future mobile. We're going to get Admiral, Admiral Stuppelbein to talk yeah. about that. So. Uh, can I uh, have a religious one here? Oh, yes, of course you can. Okay. I was going to be flippant, but let's um, This is something from the Courier-Journal mm-hmm. from my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, the main newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only printed the first half of this article, and I think you'll get the point of it. Tensions rise over the right way to grow. Southern Baptist leaders favor different paths. Southern Baptists, which are the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S., Mm -hmm. Southern Baptists gathering in Louisville are witnessing an unusually public display of tensions amongst their leaders over methods of church growth and the effect of different strands of conservative theology on their evangelistic efforts. Some 8,660 representatives of churches in the nation's largest Protestant denomination are in Louisville for the Southern Baptist Convention's two-day annual meeting at the Kentucky Exposition Center. The convention approved a study of its denominational structures, its mission boards, seminaries, and other agencies on Tuesday evening only after debate amongst members and leaders. That followed more debates on whether churches should cooperate with a non-Baptist network called Acts 29, known for tolerating alcohol use and for its leaders' controversial sexually-themed sermons. And on the increased popularity amongst younger Southern Baptist ministers of the ideas of 16th century theologian John Calvin. In contrast, there was no debate at all when the convention voted overwhelmingly to oust a Texas congregation perceived as too affirming of homosexuality. But within the denomination's conservative consensus, there has been a collapse of methodological consensus on fostering different approaches to growth said Ed Stetzer, director of the denomination's LifeWay Research, which happens here in Nashville. Feel free to comment, you know, if you'd like here. And these um, are the days of Elijah. Okay. What's that mean? Behold, he comes, riding on the, you know, riding on a white How, horse. How's that related to this? Well, it's just, you know, part of people are falling away, making some, you know... The idea is it's crept in even to the Southern Baptists. Gosh, you know, is it really... What's crept in? That, I'm getting to that. The idea that, you know, is is my public holiness, like, is maybe there's another way. That's what it sounds like to me. That may... Well, is that good or bad? I think that's bad. Okay, so you're saying away from the right way. 
Well, well let's, let's, let's let them say. Okay. Okay. He released projections showing that Southern Baptist membership, now at 16 million, could drop by half over the next 50 years unless it expands beyond its aging, predominantly white base. The denomination has seen declines in membership and baptisms in each of the last two years. The question, Stetzer said in an interview, is whether we can have similar beliefs but simultaneously have, within certain parameters, different ways to engage culture, uh, different ways to worship on Sunday morning. I think we can. Morris Chapman, president of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, set the tone for debate Tuesday morning when he expressed his wariness of the proposed study of denominational structures named for the great commission Jesus gave to followers to make disciples. Chapman asked if the proposal was more about the Great Commission than about the Southern Baptist Convention, and if it would unnecessarily alienate certain demographics if it fails to recognize the good work by agencies under the current structure. Chapman asked if the proposal was more about the Great Commission. Uh, I see Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in Louisville, made the motion for the study, saying it would answer the question, can we do what we do better? But Chapman and many Baptist state executives have resisted the idea, uh, particularly because its original draft by another Baptist seminary president, Danny Aiken, referred to the denomination's bloated bureaucracy. Chapman, meanwhile, also targeted the growing ranks of Calvinists, whose doctrine emphasizes God's power to choose whom to save or not save, rather than human free will. Chapman said some Calvinists seek to explain away Bible passages indicating humans can choose to repent. Uh, about 30% of recent Southern Baptist Seminary graduates uh, identify as staunch Calvinists, according to LifeWay Research. Chapman made a horrible misrepresentation of its views. Uh, Alvin, uh, excuse me, Aiken said a lunch form that he is not a Calvinist, but Chapman made a horrible misrepresentation of his views, saying he's never met a Calvinist who believes that someone could be saved apart from repentance. So it goes on and on. I, there is more here, but, you know, our brothers and sisters that are Southern Baptists are struggling, as well as much of the church, and uh, maybe small groups focused on the Bible, hmm. get away from... That whole Bible thing. You wow, know, it's good concept. to centralize, to reach missions and that kind of thing, but, you know, I don't know. But we'll keep looking at here Future Quake, but we need to get Mervin to tell you how to contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's the end of the road for this week. These are the days of Elijah, my friend. I think I've heard you say that before. I know. Yeah. Well, I'll be, right I'll be looking for too. the chariot of fire. Yep. Or far, as I say in Kentucky. Far. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's been wonderful to be with you this week. we got to go. We've got a great show uh, next week. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.